OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Half past seven, you're welcome along to OTB AM. It's Owen and Ashling with you right away through until 10 o'clock this morning. We've got Sarah O'Donovan on with us to talk hurling and camogie. Louise Quinn will be reflecting on her season and a little bit of Ireland chat in there as well. And we will be beginning our preview to the US PGA Championship, which is happening this weekend. So we'll have Nathan with us, we'll have John with us a little bit later on. And of course, the top four narrative is basically done at this point, barring a massive twist this Sunday, which let's face it, is not going to happen. Tottenham Hotspur are going to be playing Champions League football next season. Arsenal Football Club are not going to be playing Champions League football next season. We may or may not get John's thoughts on that a little bit later on as well. You can tweet us at Off The Ball. You can comment on the YouTube stream if that's where you're getting us. Ashling, how are you getting on? Good, Owen. Not too bad. How are you? Very well. And Colin Buig is also with us in studio. Oh, Ashling. How are you, Owen? Yeah, well, I was just about to say, like we've, last hours. we've got bodies in the studio here just to make things a little bit easier, uh, to, to kind of ease the pain of, of what happened last night, of what happened really, I guess, over the last couple of weeks and the last week, really, the crushing defeat for Arsenal and the derby last Thursday, which people were like, was going to spell the end of their top four dreams. And turns out everybody who said that was absolutely right because Newcastle United were much the better side last night and, and Arsenal season has taken another twist and it's just going to happen too late now where they're not going to be able to recover from it. Like I'm, I'm not sensing any glee column from your voice I'd like I, but I suspect that this is like a very um, uh, this is an enjoyable moment for a lot of I th- people. I don't know if you were listening in Ashley on Friday but uh, Owen was live from North London and briefly went off air to come back on so in the meantime myself and Adrian were filling time and he was like who do you think is going to make top four? I was like, oh, Spurs? Like, I just don't trust Arsenal. And Owen comes raging back in and was like, I actually disagree with you, Colm, massively. Oh, wow. I think Arsenal I are definitely this. going to do it. And then uh, I didn't say Arsenal were night, definitely going to do he it. Said, definitely. <laughs> I said, mean, definitely. He said, 100% Arsenal are going to do it. Well, I, that's just a complete lie. I mean, he was I, said they're in the driving seat and rather be in Arsenal's position. Well, I said that they were in the driving seat because they had a point... They had the points on the, on the board, but I didn't say they were definitely going to do it. Oh, I, I mean, I've, we've 100%. literally had conversations on this show all season yeah. where I doubted that Arsenal were going to do this thing. And, and they just didn't out, show up whatsoever. No. It didn't look like they were the ones playing for a Champions League spot. You know, it was the, the other way around. It, it was just unreal. There was no hunger or fight or, yeah, it, it, they just lacked intensity from them. Almost like they didn't want to be there. It, yeah. it was, yeah, unreal. And Newcastle just put in a, a massive performance and they had nothing to, to lose or gain really, you know, um, and they just, yeah, put in a, a serious performance. They were so impressive, I thought. Did you hear Granit Xhaka's comments yeah. afterwards? So uh, he said Arsenal didn't have the balls to play um, as as their hopes pretty much all disappeared. He said, uh, from the first minute to the 90th, we didn't deserve to be on the pitch. What happened was a disaster performance and like this, you don't deserve to play in the Champions League. You don't even deserve to play Europa League. It's very hard to take at the moment. I don't know why we're not doing what the coaches ask for, which is a really interesting insight into it because you, you do kind of look at that performance last night and you think to yourself, what was the plan? They almost brought to the table last night the plan that they should have brought to the table at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium last Thursday in the first half at least, which was sit, sit back, uh, absorb the pressure and maybe try and create something on the break. As it turned out, nil all was never going to be good enough for them last night and subsequently they ended up conceding a couple of goals. He says, if somebody isn't ready for this game, stay at home. It doesn't matter the age. If you're not ready or you're nervous, stay on the bench, stay at home. Don't come here. We need people to have the balls to come here and play. We knew this game was maybe the most important for us. But with a performance like that, it's not acceptable. 
and he was asked um, uh, it, like about the, the inexperience in the team and the age and he was like it doesn't matter if you're 30 or 35 or 10 <laughs> or 18 <laughs> which, uh, which I thought was a very very, very good line like it's, uh, I mean obviously it's being second best, best Newcastle United at Newcastle there's a chance that Newcastle will be pushing for Europa League qualification next season. We don't know the extent of their conquest this summer. Uh, getting beaten at Newcastle in a in a singular sense isn't a massive shock. I'll put it like that. To, to like this Arsenal team getting beaten at Newcastle, it's it's just the sort of slippages post Christmas, especially that three game losing streak they went on at the beginning of April, which which did them in really and. Uh, I wonder, can you point to the inexperience in the squad as a reason for that? Or is that just, is Jack right saying it doesn't matter? You can be 10 and you should be able to show up. It's the youngest squad in the league, isn't it? Yeah, Arsenal but does, does that matter? It's, um, a, it's a very expensive squad. Like, just because they're professionals. It does. I, I wouldn't say that matters too much. You know, I would say, what I would say it does. They, uh, they really, really lack leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and sh- like Granit Xhaka came out last night and he's the guy who stood up and went to the cameras and said, look, you know, in no uncertain terms, we weren't good enough, all of us, and people should stay at home. Now, he was kind of blaming his teammates by the sound of all the quotes, but I presume he was including himself in it. And Xhaka is a guy who, a few years ago, was booed off by the Arsenal fans. And really, I was talking to Phil Egan beforehand, really is only there because, you know, they kind of struggled to offload him and he just stayed and now the Arsenal fans don't mind him so much. And he's kind of their inspirational figure at the moment. And there's nobody else and you look around and... When Newcastle went one up, you're just looking around and beyond the natural talent that Arsenal have, you're questioning, are they going to get back into this game? And just before Newcastle made it 2-0, it was so inevitable that they were going to double their leads. They just had yeah. chance after chance. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, Newcastle playing for nothing. I know that you know it, maybe it's easier. They were freed up. They played in front of the home fans. They've had a fantastic second half of the season considering they only won one of their first 18 games. But like... You know, Newcastle, have, I think they have the lowest percentage possession in the in the league and they dominated the ball last night. Absolutely dominated. Arsenal were just, they completely choked. And like, I don't know, and was this worse than Thursday night against Spurs? Um, I, it's hard to know because like Rob Holding is pretty idiotic on Thursday night and that's uh, a complete collapse. Cedric shoving the back was maybe a little bit unfortunate and the penalty was unfortunate and maybe you can make a case that, that Tottenham weren't as good as Newcastle were last night and I, and I mean in terms of their relative performance to, to the level of their team. I think as you say Newcastle were better than we even expected last night. Spurs didn't even need to be that good to win on Thursday so I think Arsenal's performance was probably worse last Thursday than it was last night which doesn't say much at all. They were both terrible performances. You asked me to pick between two terrible, terrible things here are both <laughs> shocking performances and they needed the most. They needed to, like it was just always going to be a massive five or six days for them and, and it, they've just completely capitulated and like the, the whole thing around this season was, you know, it would be nice for Arsenal to finish in the top four. The expectation at the start of the season was that they'd be doing well to break the top six again this year. They finished eighth last season, eighth the previous season. Finishing fifth is not a disaster from that standpoint. It is a bit of a disaster from the standpoint of where they were at the start of January and what happens next season. Because since then, Tottenham have got Antonio Conte. They've signed very, very well. Tottenham are not finishing outside the top four next season, I don't think. Chelsea probably aren't finishing outside the top four next season as long as they exist. Mm. And that's the other thing here. Maybe Chelsea Football Club won't exist and Arsenal will get a top four place. We'll see how that uh, sale and that takeover story goes over the next little while. Uh, but other than that, you can't see them finishing above Tottenham, Chelsea and definitely not above the big two. And then you've got the wild card that is Eric Ten Hag coming into Manchester United. So this year was a chaotic year. It was still a post-COVID bag of madness. And Arsenal sort of had a chance of sneaking in at the back post, figuratively speaking, to, to claim that last Champions League place and then build on that next year. And that's not going to happen. So it's a huge setback. Gary Neville said afterwards that he saw 
the similarity between last night and the Europa League final defeat for Manchester United last season. Um, I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with that. I think <laughs> I think it actually could be a bigger deal for Arsenal because at least Manchester United had their Champions League place signed, sealed and delivered, right? I know a trophy was important for Solskjaer at that moment. Yeah, the most important thing about winning the Europa League for me is... But to have know, something so big on the line and to not show up whatsoever. Yeah. Like not even a performance. I mean, mm. if you want to get some bit of positivity from it, I mean, technically it's progress for Arsenal. Yeah. You know, they weren't in Europe this season. They're in Europe next season. The you is still the per- expect more. Yeah, but the Thursday, night. Sunday football will be the conundrum. But if, you know, if they get Champions League next season, then it, it's a really nice mm. bit of progress he's done. And he's, he won the FA Cup two years ago. Then it would be a really good job that Arteta has done. But you just look at there's so many flaws there and it's like you almost get bored of talking about Arsenal's flaws because they've repeated themselves since basically 2006. Um, but like, never have I seen an Arsenal team that there's a lot of talent, but really lacks kind of galvanising figures. Like, Owen, who, who would you pick as your captain? Like, Chaka came out last night, he spoke. Odegaard is the captain. Who would be your choice? Well, if you wanted to go purely on a leader and that sort of notion, yeah. Kieran Tierney would be your guy, but he's not trustworthy. As much as I would love Kieran Tierney, and I think not he's one, exactly yeah, fitness wise, fitness like, wise, yeah. there, there is a school of thought out there that Arsenal should almost cut their losses with Kieran Tierney. Like, I mean, their season took a downturn as soon as he got injured, and the worst thing about it Too was reliant. that the injury was not surprising whatsoever. Thomas Partey got injured, uh, I think, in pretty much the exact same game. And in fairness, Arsenal did rebound after that. They went on that run of wins where they where they beat Chelsea and Manchester United, but. Like beating Chelsea and Manchester United after uh, the Abramovich situation and Manchester United in 2022. I, like maybe we, we kind of overstated just how important those wins were. When they played an actual good top team in Tottenham Hotspur, they got beaten. So, like, I mean, that's around about way of answering your question. If, if you're just going on like character alone, Kieran Tierney is, is probably the guy you look at, but he's just been so untrustworthy with, with his level of fitness. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, like I, I will say, like while the tone is negativity, I do think some perspective is required. Like Arteta and Edu, that phrase is trending on Twitter right now and you don't need to be told what is being said about them. There's a lot of Arsenal fans out there who believe that Arteta and Edu should both be ejected from the club swiftly. But I think we need to, oh. I think some oh. perspective is probably required at this point uh, before going that far. Like it's, um, that you, it's possible to be angry and disappointed and sad while throwing your toys out of the pram completely but this is Arsenal Football Club and uh, I thought Saka at times he was uh, yeah. the sole threat up front yeah yeah he, yeah, he well. looked so fed up at the end he like there was one point he just kicked the ball of the touch he was just so fed up at life mm. I was, I think that the narrative would change around Arsenal this season if they had spread their form out a bit more because they were fantastic like springtime and also they were going about their business relatively quietly because Manchester United were stealing the limelight you know they were because you know it's such a mess there and then you had like the Manchester City-Liverpool title race and there was loads of different narratives and we'd be in here on and I'd be saying to you like it feels like Arsenal never play it's like they play like every 7 or 10 days because they didn't have Europe and, and it's only like this last week really that they've come back into it and they had the three poor results in April but it, say if they had those three poor results back in November there would have been a little mini crisis and then if they replaced that form with you know the form that they had at winter time into spring, people would be like, oh, Arsenal are doing really well under Arteta. You know, this is nice progress into Europa League. It's just the way that it's capitulated at the end of the season. And we've had a few of these at Arsenal now. Do you know? Yeah. But yeah. I don't uh, think it's that bad for them. You know, um, it's technically progress. Lo- loads of people, you know, uh, in our comments 
not wanting to stick the boot in at all this morning. Patsy <laughs> says, Arsenal fans I know saying, imagine Liverpool only win the Carabao Cup last week. It's just too funny. Dave Cos says, Owen Salty Gunner tears incoming. I don't have any tears left to cry, to be honest with you. All the salt in my tear ducts have dry, dried up after a decade to 15 years of just constant disappointment. Uh, Richard Redball says, journey to do a Mo Sislak and airlift Owen out of here. And uh, Shane says, as bad as United have been this season, Arsenal are a close second. A close second? Really? I'm not sure about that. Are Manchester United still at the top wage bill in the, in the Premier League? Or close to it? One of the top wage bills they in the Premier do, League, yeah. finishing sixth. Um, yeah. Arsenal, I think, are fifth when it comes to wage bill. That was pre Aubameyang as well. And are finishing fifth. So, I mean, they've hit their level. No, no, um, no United. Jesus. No United. No. Close I, think second, I, think by I would I would agree, Colin. Uh, but Shane certainly thinks it is. Uh, Paul says, Jack has remarks considering his antics at Arsenal over the last few years. He's no leader and should look in the mirror. Feel bad for you, but chin up. Your club are a better place than Manchester United. Thank you, Paul. Positivity <laughs> to start this morning. And uh, it is 7.42 on this Tuesday morning. God, I thought it was going to... I was going to say like Wednesday or Thursday. It feels like a long week already. We've got a big show coming your way over the next little while. Uh, we've got a whoop update coming your way in about 15 minutes' time with Adrian Barry, who's going to join us to talk about his transformation into Michael Phelps. Sarah O'Donovan is going to be with us at 10 past 8 to talk all things Cork. We'll talk about the rest of the Munster Hurling Championship as well and a bit on the Camogie too. The sports page is coming your way at 20 to 9. After that then, Louise Quinn will be on the line chat to us about her season Nathan Murphy will be with us after 9 o'clock and then from half past 9 uh, we've got some more reaction from last night's show right before we get into a couple of other things just to tell you to celebrate bringing the football pod on the road we are giving you the chance to win two tickets to join Tommy Rooney Paddy Andrews James O'Donoghue and special guests at the Royal Theatre Castle Bar all you have to do to be in with a chance to win is tell us who this mystery voice is we do not have a mystery voice. <laughs> we will get you that uh, later on. We do have a mystery voice. Let's hear who it is. We're just looking forward now to the 25th of May and, and meet, meeting the winners of, of Wexford and Loud. Yeah, so who is that? Comment your answer on our live YouTube stream right now or tag us with your answer on Twitter. We are at Off The Ball. So that's the football pod coming your way uh, at Castle Bar very, very shortly indeed. Right. It wasn't just about the top four race this week. You've obviously got Liverpool playing this week. But of course, Scottish football is in the limelight this week because tomorrow night, Rangers are in a Europa League final. And to mark this occasion, we here on OTBAM are picking our top three Celtic players of the season. Ashton O'Reilly <laughs> is in studio. Uh, a great season for Celtic overall. Are you going to watch tomorrow night? Yeah, of course yeah. I'll watch it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They put in really good performances away from the Scottish League. Uh, some of their best performances. Uh, surprising at times how good they were, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I'll be watching and I I hope uh, they they come away with a loss. <laughs> so is this a... Really? Genuinely, are you going to be following Eintracht Frankfurt? Yes, I hope Frankfurt do a job. Yes. Would it not be great for Scottish football flying the flag? <laughs> A European winner no, for a league much maligned by those that don't follow it. <laughs> Fantastic occasion. Should Absolutely you? not. No, that, that's not how it works. Well, not for me anyway. Really? No, no. Why would I want to, to see them win? No chance. There are I absolute mean, rivals. Yeah. Nobody wants to see that. It's it's just no. Are you going to be supporting Liverpool in the Champions League final? Absolutely exactly. not. Yeah. But that's different. How is it different? It's the promotion Colin? of the English right. game. Colin. Because no, le- how no, is it different? It's different, right? Go ahead. I have no affiliation with Liverpool, right, really. They're all the way over there, right? But you're like Rangers, like they're in your town, like they're in Glasgow, do you know? They're there. Even right more next reason. To you. Yeah. <laughs> so they're your neighbours, like. So you, know, you have to face <laughs> them. You have to face them Thursday morning, being like, you know, what about last night? You know, I don't have to go near Liverpool, right? So I'm happy for them to lose. But for you, you have to, like, you know, you're a Celtic fan, 
living in Glasgow. This isn't theory, obviously. Okay. Ashing doesn't live in Glasgow. This is <laughs> thinking, what right? is this? This is theory. But then you get up the next day and you're like, oh, about last night, lads. You know, you have to, you have to spend the whole day with the Rangers fans. You know, That's the whole point. That's why you want them to lose. No, you, you want the whole to day with harmony. Do you think if it was flipped that the Rangers fans would be happy for Celtic to What win? we'll do, we'll get a Rangers fan in. Yeah. We'll ask them, right? We'll, go, we'll go back to uh, 2004 or 2003, the UEFA Cup final, Celtic Porto, and be like, would you like Celtic to win? And you know what? Some of them might say yes. I'd be very surprised. Some yes, of them might say no. To be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so your top three Celtic players of the season. Do you want to take us through this number three to one? Yep. Uh, it, it's really tough. Um, and it's all new signings. Uh, there was a few close calls. I had a bad. Uh, he was nearly in there. He just won Young Player of the Year. Um, a massive player for Celtic. We're going to see a lot from him. Yakamakis, he was the top goal scorer in the Scottish League. Uh, unbelievable. It took him a little bit of time to hit form, but once he did, he was incredible the whole season. Then you had Jovanovic, uh, Croatian right back. His pace, his quality on the ball, uh, just exceptional. So all these players were so close. Uh, it was hard to, to pick it. Atata, Miida, Jota as well. He's only 22, a lot of skill. Um, his end product has been exceptional. Definitely a player that I think is going to go to the top, really. So we'll definitely watch out for him. But if I had to do my top three yeah. from three to one, um, Kyogo was number three. Um, people might be a little bit surprised on that. They might have thought that Kyogo might have been up there um, up there in maybe number one even he missed half the season with injury but even at that the impact that he has made since he came in from Japan in August um, he came from the J-League as top scorer his movement is so impressive about him making the runs in behind defenders constantly keeping defenders on their toes and some of his goals have just been in- incredible just last weekend against Motherwell he scored twice and one he caught it on the volley he didn't even look it was just uh, just inside the box. He didn't even look and straight straight into the top corner. Sort of like Larson-esque, you know. Um, and that's a, a big statement. Mm-hmm. But uh, he really gives you, you that, that slickness about him. And yeah, it's really exciting to, to see him and what he's going to do in a Celtic shirt over the next few years. Number two then, I went for Carter Vickers. Um, talks are ongoing at the moment for him. Um, he signed on loan at the last minute of the transfer window from Tottenham. Pure strength, uh, solid all season. He was so close to winning uh, Player of the Year. Best defender, I think, that Celtic have had since Van Dijk. Um, You know, and look at Van Dijk, that's a big statement too. You could see what sort of player he was, what he's gone on to do, what he's done at Liverpool. So yeah, Carter Vickers has been immense, really solid, uh, really influential in the team as a whole. And yeah, he's been a massive player for Celtic. And then number one, people may have guessed it by now, is Joe Hart. Unbelievable what his resurgence in his career. And he, Celtic and Joe are just a perfect fit, I feel. And you hear him speak about Celtic now and how thankful he is for this opportunity. And it came in a time of his football career that he, he really needed it. We've seen him sign from Tottenham. And he had failed spells at other clubs. And yeah, it's just it's just immense to see what he's doing. Like he spoke at the very start that he just needed a bit of love. He needed a manager to believe in him, and he feels that he, he got that from Ange. And he means a lot, I think, to the to Celtic fans. He's a pure leader. You can see that from obviously on the pitch, but even when he speaks, and a lot of the players talk about him in the dressing room as well, and the impact that he's made that way. So my number one would be Joe Hart. You know when he signed 
do you remember being excited or thinking, oh, you know, he's probably just going to be on the bench or he might play a bit here and there? Because the article's written about Joe Hart before the Celtic move. It's yeah. like, this guy's yeah. finishing the sad demise and the rapid demise of Joe Hart. He, he, was, you know? he was a figure mm-hmm. of fun. Absolutely, 100%, because his peak was Euro 2012, right up until that penalty shoot against Italy when Andre Pirlo made a mockery of him. And then, you know, very gradually went down. He was a brilliant goalkeeper for Manchester City and England for a long time. And then Pep Guardiola came in and straight away was like, no chance. And the, the gradual decline, and then I think playing against was it Marine in the FA Cup for Spurs was you know one of his only appearances for a long, long time, and then on the bench at Burnley. So when he went to Celtic, I was like, "Why is Celtic going for him?" Yeah, well, that, he's really been that brilliant, is he? And the Celtic, he really has. And I suppose there was a bit of uncertainty. You know, you didn't know what to expect, and of course, you you read all this, you you'd seen what he had done, but you could see the type of player he could be. Yeah, and then when you heard him speak that he needed a bit of love was his words. You know, mm. he actually needed that bit of belief in it. It just shows you what like a lack of confidence can do to a player. Yeah. And that if you do get that buy-in from a manager to, to really believe, look, you know, we'll, we'll put the effort in with you, obviously the time, the training, all of that. And psychologically, I'm sure as a goalkeeper, that's massive. So he obviously got that from Ange and from the, the whole team in Celtic. And, he, he's probably, he is the most important player. Really? He really is because, as I said, like not even just on the pitch, like his performances have been exceptional. He's kept them in games, but he's really a leader. And he, you can hear him speaking afterwards, how the, the other players speak about him. You know, he is that influential player that Celtic really needed. Yeah. Mm. And on the pitch then, is does he have the ability to play out from the back? Because I know that was the Pep Guardiola's big concern with mm-hmm. him and why he left. Does does Ange Pascoglu have him playing out from the back or is he more traditional long ball? Is he able to mix it up? Like with He does piece? mix it up, yeah. Okay. He does do the long ball, but he definitely mixes it up, um, which works well for Carter Vickers. The both of them sort of team up well together. Um, they read the game well together and yeah, he, he's able to mix it up and he honestly has been so influential. Like it's Some of his saves have honestly kept Celtic in it. Um, especially say back in January time when it was touch and go we're still chasing Rangers at that point and he, he was probably a key figure to really keep things ticking along yeah. what, is, what is your expectation slash you know hope next season for Celtic like is it, is it all resting on what happens in Europe and trying to get back to creating those famous nights at Celtic again or or can can they do something like given the, the base that Rangers have now found say if they win tomorrow night and all of a sudden beating Rangers in the league again next season is that, is that enough? I think to, to kick on yes you want, you want to continue to beat Rangers but also Colm's laughing but also you know Champions League is, is where they want to make an impact mm. I think Ange is a, a top manager he deserves to be in the top leagues showing his class so I, I do think that's where they want to be. They want to make an impact. And the signings that he has made, like they, they are superstar players. I said it to Jur a few days ago. They're superstar players that have came in on a budget and made such an impact. And they just need to get that cohesiveness together. They have it already, but it just consistently game after game. If they can just get that to click completely. And he has obviously a few more signings to make, hopefully. We will see that too. So... Um, yeah, I think they'll want to make an impact um, in Europe for sure and then continue to dominate in, in the Scottish League. What you know, see back the, to back. What's making the job Giovanni Van Bronckhorst has done at Rangers? 
yeah, it, I was unsure, I suppose, when Jared left, what, what was going to happen. You know, uh, nearly thought it might upset the season a little bit. I was sort of happy about that. Thinking, OK, <laughs> you know, a new manager halfway, you know, definitely will see a bit of an upset here. And wow, they, they obviously buy into what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, Morelos has been out injured, which has been sort of their key man up front. And still, they're putting on these unbelievable performances. And they have been playing really, really well. Look, they, they're not where they are for no reason. Yeah. Um, you know, they have been impressive at times and yeah, it looks like he's been a good fit. There's, there's two brilliant managers in, in the league now managing both sides like and, you know, all jokes aside with the European fandom and like, sell, like supporting Rangers, obviously not going to happen. It's the most bitter riv- rivalry I can think of in this side <laughs> of the world. But like the, the rivalry's always been there, but it feels like to me, looking from the outside in and not following the Scottish League every week is that like the football is also reaching a level that's getting higher and higher because the coaching is improving and the players are buying into the coaching of, of both coaches, the standard mm-hmm. of them. Definitely. And if you see the likes of Jada, Kyogo, Maida, who've, who've made massive impacts coming to the club, but the type of players that they are, you know, that highlights the Scottish League again. Like we've seen it, I suppose, with the likes I've mentioned, Larson. Like, you know, people took notice. Yeah. And Jada is this type of player. Kyogo is this type of player. And you need these players to, to play in the league for people to take notice. So I, I definitely think it's it's going to only keep growing. You know, it, it's at a good point now. You know, I, I do feel, yes, people say it's a, a two horse race, but, you know, it is at a good point and it's exciting. And I suppose that rivalry is what drives it. You know, it's when those two teams meet, it, it, it's it's massive and there's never that much between them. And that rivalry is unbelievable. Yeah. You know, when you come to that Glasgow Derby day, it's it's immense to see. But yeah. Well, clearly not in Colm's eyes. I mean, he, this is a, a, a rivalry that one group of fans should feel happy for the other, which <laughs> yeah. of course all together, terrible. Yeah. Can they put it all aside? Yeah. Been a bit of a reaction to that question, needless to say. Uh, Shane's been in touch uh, just on the footballing point, first of all, saying Celtic's recruitment has been off the charts and Impressive, and getting a manager from the J League ended up being such a smart decision when most doubted it, and a lot did yep. doubt it at the time. Joseph says the only reason I would back Rangers is that the club had historical links to my favourite club, Chelsea. And then we get into the to the fandom thing. John says Celtic fandom definitely increases the further up the country you go. Cullen being the most detached down in Cork no, from Celtic. That is uh, John. That's nonsense. That's nonsense, John. Uh, I was a huge Celtic fan when I was growing up. Genuinely, massive Celtic fan in the Martin O'Neill days. I was obsessed with Celtic. I watched their, uh, was it 2000-2001 season, O'Neill's first in charge when they won the treble. I watched that VHS so much, the VHS broke. Like, I knew every game off by heart. That was the year that Henrik Larsson started with the dreadlocks and shaved his head and then just somehow just became even better. And I remember that team, they played the 5-3-2 system, which was quite rare enough in British football at the time, way ahead of their time. And then that team reached the Zenith by reaching the UEFA Cup final. I loved that Celtic side. Loved oh, and it. John Hartson. Yeah. It was Chris on RT2 yeah. then, the games, weren't they? That's yes, how I that's right. started to yeah, follow yeah, Celtic. The European games. I remember coming in right. before, like, oh, whatever yeah, yeah. age I was, going to bed, we were able to watch the games. That's so right. everyone was sitting around watching the telly, but you can't yeah. watch them as but easy now. So. Paul Lambert coming back from Borussia Dortmund, lording it in midfield. Stidian Petrov, what a player. And uh, then you had Didier Gatt on the right wing, right wing back. Uh, Alan Thompson left wing, that's all coming back. Yeah, that was, that was an unbelievable side. I love that Celtic side. My uncle from Clare. Uh, also named called massive, massive Celtic fan in like Celtic supporters club. And then for whatever reason, mid-2000s, O'Neill left, Gordon Strachan came in, Roy Keane signed, but I just kind of, I, I just kind of lost interest. I, I felt the league was, wasn't as competitive mm-hmm. gradually and I, I, I suppose Celtic lost the star quality and then I just, 
I suppose I just more focus on the Premier League side of things. But this team now for Celtic gives me vibes of that team. Right, yeah. It really does. So it's time to get back on the bandwagon column. Okay, I'll give next season a go. Patrick has been in touch to say, for someone to ask what a Celtic supporter hope for a Rangers victory for the good of the Scottish League is truly (laughs) ludicrous and his journalistic credentials should be rescinded. Patrick. Have you not listened to his bit about the VHS there that he's surely got his journalistic credential back after that? uh, thinking like that, like we're going to go nowhere with that close-minded thinking, you know. And with Patrick. A <laughs> um, couple of other comments coming in, which we'll get to in just a moment. Colin, before we let you go, uh, just very quickly, it's a big weekend for you. It's the start of uh, summer Grand Slam season. It is. But we're going to have a lot of tennis on this show, as Colin will force us to talk about. Um, the, no, uh, to be I fair, mean, I'm excited for yeah, I'm excited are, yeah. for the French Open. I know you're excited. We've got, we've got a wunderkind for, for comedic purposes. He for, said that. Who, who's going to to come in and dominate men's tennis <laughs> for a start, which is uh, which is what we're looking for, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I know people are like oh tennis, but honest to God, when this gets going, people are like oh yeah, the French Open's actually really interesting. So look, we'll do a, a longer preview on Friday because uh, it starts on Sunday, the draws on Thursday. But yeah, it is. It's look, it's shaping up to genuinely be very interesting. Novak Djokovic won the Italian Open last week. I would have him as the favourite. Then we talked about um, Carlos Alcaraz last week, mm. who dominated Nadal and Djokovic, uh, made history by beating them back-to-back on clay. Um, best player in the world at the moment in current form. Uh, Rafael Nadal, of course, king of clay at the French Open, did lose the uh, semi-final last year to Djokovic in a classic. Uh, concern with uh, Nadal, uh, pulled up injured in the Italian Open. He lost to Denis Shapovalov. No shame there. He hammered him the first set. Broke down the second and third set with uh, his dodgy ankle. He's a really bad ankle, Nadal. And there's serious concerns for his fitness levels. And honestly, honest to God, the way he was talking after that match against Shapovalov, he was saying, he had a really kind of sad quote, which was, um, pain takes happiness away. And he has to live with this constant pain in his ankle. He said, look, it's no problem, I can play the matches. But he was kind of talking as if retirement isn't too far away for Nadal. Which is inevitable anyway. He's in his mid-30s. He's won the most Grand Slams of all time at at the time of speaking. But I don't feel he's going to win this French Open. I think it'll be Djokovic or Alcaraz. But Nadal, like nobody backed Nadal to win the Australian Open and he did. This is a serious narrative going into it. Uh, Nadal on the bad ankle winning the French Open as his last slam. It'll be like Tiger Woods at Torrey Pines. Rip up the running order French Open special. That would be oh, that would be incredible. And then on the just uh, briefly on the women's side, um, Iga Sviantek, who's the world number one. So Ash Barty retired, of course, a couple of months ago. She was the world number one, the Australian. She had just won the Australian Open and shocked the world, really. Well, sorry, surpri- shocked some, and to a less to a lesser extent, it wasn't so much so for people who weren't following her. She kind of always thought that you know tennis isn't the most important thing in my life. But anyway, she retired in her mid twenties. So Iga Sviantek took over the number one spot, and my God, has she taken that on? She's won her last twenty eight matches. Um, her last eight finals, she's in. She's uh, basically just not dropping sets. She's won Doha, Indian Wells, Miami, Stuttgart, and she just won Rome there against uh, Anne Jabeur in the final at the weekend. When you're talking about contenders for the French Open, on the men's side, we just talked about it, it's between three. On the women's side, it's Igor Sviantek and the rest. Right. And the women's side has never been more talented in terms of the array of talent. There's not like a dominant two or three. They're genuinely the top 20 to 30 players in the world any of them could win the French Open. You wouldn't be surprised. But with Sviantec in the form that she's in, it would be like a genuine shock if she didn't win this French Open. And I'm saying that before it's even started. The okay. only way she won't win it is if she gets injured. Okay. Because her form is imperious. It's uh, intimidating for everybody else. She is just annihilating everyone. The scary thing is she's only 20. And the scarier thing is she's already won the French Open. She won it in 2020. She beat Sofia Kennan in the final. But since Barty retired and Sviantec's gone into world number one, she has... Uh, fallen in with that pressure so nicely she loves it she loves being the number one and she's won her last five tournaments 
So this Sunday it all starts? This Sunday it all when starts. When is the draw? The draw is Thursday. Right. And we can talk about the draw on Friday. Yes, absolutely. I'm genuinely looking forward to it, Colm. I don't Honest know why you're... Why you're uh, we, we, we just need a constant update on like what matches to watch and when a match gets exciting. And yeah, I'll let you know. Don't worry. Now. Thank you. I'll raise my tone when it gets exciting. Yes, yeah. very, very, very excited for that. Uh, by the way, in better news uh, for Colm, his day is just getting better and better over the last couple of minutes. CS has been in touch to say, not that ludicrous. If Scotland wants its automatic place in the group stages back, the coefficient needs to rise. Rangers winning the Europa League helps this benefiting Celtic eventually CS I've always said it about CS <laughs> an open mind if ever there was one uh, alright it is a minute past eight you're with us here on OTBAM and Team OTB are taking on Triathai this June it's all in partnership with Whoop the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential see whoop.com for more uh, Ashley O'Reilly you are taking part in it and uh, Team OTB's number one swimmer Adrian Barry is also showing off his skills on the day Adrian good morning to you Nice to get a bit of positive PR on a Tuesday morning. Morning, guys. You are an amazing swimmer. Oh, oh and this, I have to say, up to uh, a few minutes ago when I turned this on, I was expecting an onslaught from Gilroy. This is this is quite the start to the day. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that was just an introduction for you to tell us how good you are at swimming, which you haven't done yet. So go ahead. <laughs> I am on, in fairness, to defend my honour and my sporting pedigree on. After it's been torn to shreds over the last few weeks, particularly by Mr. Gilroy, he's just, it's this constant, it's a campaign almost at this point, full pep nearly is what I think. He's gone full pep. Everybody's against us. The media's against us. These Why? Are what's what's he been saying? For, for people who didn't catch it last week, what, what's he been saying? He had smack talk with you on during the week where he was saying that, uh, you know, it's only 250 metres swim and he doubled down on it. Then he the race director on Friday's um, PM show and he doubled down on it there. He was like, oh, what's this guy doing? Um, 250 metres, down swim. He'll be bobbing along like a cork to which the race director just went, uh, yeah, pretty much that's, that's kind of what's going to go on. But it's, I mean, it isn't that straightforward. I'm definitely not OTV's number one swimmer, but um, uh, that's myself and Joe Malloy, obviously. And we have pedigree in this area, and you've stood up for us in the past. Uh, myself and Joe have pedigree in this area. We, we took to the treacherous waters of whatever it is down that part of the world. is St. George's Channel um, to swim. <laughs> I think it was like four and a half kilometres at that time. Something, something roughly around those, uh, those kind of measurements. You're doing the swim um, as well, Ashley. I am, yeah. I'm right, do, just I'm, the swim? No, no, no. I'm, yeah. I'm doing the, the full, the full, the full triathlon, thing. yeah. So how easy is it to do what Adrian is doing? Well, it, it actually isn't that easy. Um, I was a bit naive. I got into the pool probably about two weeks ago now for the first time in years. You know, other times that I've been in, I might have just hit a breath stroke, didn't really do too much. But actually getting in and knowing that I have to, you know, be able to complete a certain amount of laps in a certain amount of time or... You know, uh, wow, I, I did two lengths and I stopped. I was like, oh, God, right. Mm. This is actually pretty tough, you know, because it doesn't matter how fit you are. It's the breeding. You have to have that breeding technique. And if you don't have that, you can't breed. So you, you can't complete the, the lengths. And obviously your arms as well. It's a different type of fitness. So I was finding that tough. So it is tough, but... I'm a few weeks in now to practicing my swimming and if Adrian says that he is an elite swimmer that he says he is then I just don't <laughs> I just don't understand then how you can't get out and get on the bike for what do we have 20 kilometers on the bike then yeah. so yeah I just think it's very possible Adrian the, um, the, the campaign of slander continues it continues the reasons for that will all become obvious but I can't do the run for sure Ashley that's one thing that is definitely I sort of bullheadedly thought I can do that thing what distance is the run? the 4k 4K, I thought I could definitely do that. And I've been, I've had long consultations with my SNC team over the last few weeks, Ashley, and they're just really advising me against it. Um, so my treatment is ongoing. The road to recovery is long, 
but uh, it is a road that I'm only going one direction on. Uh, I had acupuncture actually in my knees last week, which was a new experience for me. What um, was that like? It was a bit weird on, yeah. I had it, had had it a couple of weeks previously where he just put sort of two needles in and I was like, I got a bit too cocky with it. I was like, oh, I didn't even feel that. That was that was cool. It's hard to know like exactly how much benefit you get out of it. But he was like, all right, cool. And then he put in seven needles and I could feel plenty of them. Oh, um, and what's the issue? But, like what, uh, and what, what's the problem with your knee? Old age? Patellar tendinopathy. Okay. Um, which basically means that the tendon that uh, links your shin bone to your knee, uh, in my case, it's chronic and it's very badly frayed um and that's the bad news and i haven't touched it for like 15 or 20 years knowing there was something up and then just recently it was like oh god i can't ignore this anymore went to get it seen to got it diagnosed and uh it's it's the good news it's all fixed so but it just takes there's about an hour of um a routine that you have to do every second day and it's it is tedious and it's hard and for somebody who is lacking in any basic fitness like myself, it is an absolute. Why are you talk. laughing? On? I, I'm sorry, Adrian. I'm just, I'm just saying to, to anybody who woke up this morning and uh, who was hoping for some good quality sports radio content. You are welcome. Adrian. No, I feel bad now. <laughs> I'm calling him out. That no, that sounds really tough. Sound bad, yeah, to fair, absolutely. Yeah. Um, very, very bad. And for Thanks, you're the only one giving me any sympathy here. It is a torture, but like, look, I don't want to be, uh, you know, like on side, sort of. Um, bringing people down on a Tuesday morning. That's what it is. I just get on with it. That's the sort of athlete I am. I don't sort of uh, moan about it. I ask the question, I try to answer it honestly. On, you know. Yeah, you know, f- fair play. So uh, try it, I'd assume we're going to have plenty more updates as the weeks go on. It's all in partnership with Whoop, the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. See whoop.com for more. We actually had the both of you on to preview the Leinster football final until results turned the other way at the weekend. So it's disappointing it's not going to be uh, Meath against Westmeath in this year's final. Adrian, I might just tr- uh, kick this off with you. At the start, you were at Croke Park on Sunday. I think there's been a lot said about the atmosphere that was in the stadium. Were you uh, similarly uh, in the demise of the whole thing? Not really, to be honest. Like, um, I was there, I brought the two kids along, five-year-old and three-year-old, and I met up with a couple of mates, and they had their kids. Uh, and we got good seats. You had to wait a little bit. Earlier in the week, if you were well planned out, and you were getting your tickets early in the week, it seemed like they were probably up in the corners. Like, I know Anthony was on yesterday talking about um, the Davin stand, and it seemed like maybe earlier in the week that's where they were. But I held off in the hope that they'd sell out those segments and start moving it back around, which they did. And... So we ended up sort of about two thirds of the way up in the Cusick, um, in the Cusick stand. It's all that side that they sell ch- uh, kids tickets for and concession tickets. Um, so it will be along there. You won't ever get tickets. I don't think anyway for the Hogan stand with kids. Um, so that was it on that side. And then, yeah, like I know that um, obviously he was talking about the lack of chips and all that stuff. We had uh, we had plenty of chips, I have to say. Maybe we filled our boots too much and left Moisey a bit short. Um, <laughs> But, uh, and then the other thing was just about the atmosphere. Like, look, it is a weird one. And, you know, if I was going there with my mates, I probably would have had a slightly different experience. Like, the kids that I was with couldn't care less if that stadium was full or there was 10,000. And that's not a barometer of anything other than to say it definitely didn't affect the kids' enjoyment of it because it didn't matter to them. Like, oh, the top tier in the Hogan is not sold out. They don't care about that. There's like tens of thousands. As far as they're concerned, there is an unbelievable throng of people the size of which they've never seen before. Tens of thousands of people around them and they... um, they enjoyed it so much as a five and a three-year-old do. They're obviously only sort of half interested in the game. And um, we were all obviously cheering on Westmeath in the first game. And uh, uh, we were obviously just within a kick of Kildare on. Is that how we want to analyse that game? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I obviously the two of them are dubs. So um, they were they enjoyed the second. Well, we actually, sorry, we left at half time in the second game because I felt that having knocked a game and a half out of it with a five and a three-year-old was doing really well. Cut our losses 
and also the game is over. Yeah, yeah, it's fair. Yeah, it's just interesting that you were just having a go at me for leaving early there last week on the show, but that's okay. That's okay. Even the best people do it. Ah. Uh, Ashton, you, I'm, you're, I know you're up at Monaghan Derry, so you probably mm-hmm. didn't get a chance to watch the full Mead game back. I'm sure you will get around to doing that at some point to, to try and enjoy those 70 minutes. Yeah, um, I was watching highlights yesterday and yeah, it, it was just so dead. Um, I don't know why it was in Crow Park in the first place. I think more should have been done about that. You know, they put a, should have put up a bit more of a fight. Um, it probably would have added to it all because I think Mead, from the minute the ball was thrown in, they just had no fight, no hunger. Uh, yeah, it was just so disappointing. Um, they were if bet before it started, you know, it seemed. And it, I think a lot of questions now are going to be asked um, of where we are because before this, I suppose you had that bit of hope. You know, I was doing the box pop, I was out meeting the fans and there was some that had a bit of hope that, oh, they might run them closer. You know, this is the time. If there's a time to beat Dublin, it's now. Obviously, we've seen that it's not the time to beat Dublin because they, as we heard yesterday, they haven't gone anywhere. But it, it was just so disappointing on the Mead front. And we have the players. like We do have such talent within Mead. It's just the cohesiveness and not playing as one it, it seems to be an issue. Um, I don't know who's to blame. Uh, it just feels that we're going around in circles for 10 years now. You know, we're, we're craving these big days, these even one big result, you know, big moment. But uh, yeah, we just haven't had it. So it's uh, you're just in limbo as to where we go from here. Mm. Uh, the qualifier draw as well. It's hard to see a draw that would be favourable for me, just given the fact that there won't be any gimmies uh, because of the Talton Cup, which I assume, Adrian, just before I let you go, is something that you're favouring Westmead to win? I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't uh, favour them to win. Like they, obviously the early goal against Kildare, like you went in with no expectation at all and suddenly you're like, oh, hang on a second here because there's probably not going to be a huge amount between them at the end of the game and you get a bit excited about it. But like I felt that Westmead were naive in so many ways. They were in a way that like even there will be good teams in the Talton Cup that will threaten stuff. Like they weren't, Every every Westmead kickout was a 50-50 ball. They were not able to secure their own ball. And every Kildare kickout was clean to a Kildare player. Now, that's not something that takes a huge amount of skill. So I don't understand why there was a shortcoming on that side. I and mean, if they had tightened up a few bits and pieces like that, they might have run it close. I also felt that maybe Kildare, and I hope for their sake that they were playing a bit within themselves. Because if Kildare played the way they played against Westmead, Dublin will do what they did to uh, Meath. Um, but yeah, in terms of the Talton Cup, they'll give it a good run. I expect them to be in the last... Four or uh, four of it probably. They sh- should certainly be um, have that expectation, and on a good day, could easily win a chat. They're certainly going after it anyway. Dara's been in touch to say Adrian Barry is never more excited than about mentioning his many many ailments, which is very <laughs> very true. I'm excited as well. The excitement is is contagious. Adrian, take care of that knee. We'll chat to you soon. Cheers. Uh, right, it is twelve minutes past eight. You were just here on OTBAM, which is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, up next, Cork's Sarah Donovan is going to join us in studio to talk hurling and camogie. See you in a few. OTB AM. This is OTB Sports Radio. This is Sport Ireland Campus and here is where it all starts. From the little ones learning to the high performance athletes leading. Here we go to play, to practice, to progress. Here is where communities in the nation come together to compete, to win, and to belong. Here we go to the next level, then on to the world stage. This is Sport Ireland Campus, and here we go. Visit sportirelandcampus.ie to be a part of it. The team of OTB are taking on a challenge. A challenge that requires fitness. A challenge that demands months of training and preparation. 
a challenge that requires knowing when to push and when to focus on recovery. Triathlons aren't easy, but having a fitness coach helps. Whoop! Are helping us non-athletes. You need all the help you can get. Yeah, yeah, as I was saying, helping us non-athletes feel like pros in our challenge to complete a triathlon this summer. OTB Sports, in partnership with Whoop, unlock your inner potential with Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach that provides you with actionable feedback on your sleep, training, recovery and health. Check out whoop.com for more. FBD Insurance knows this sound spells trouble for van drivers. But if you're an existing FBD customer, you'll get 15% off a new van insurance policy. It's how we're keeping you and your van on the road. Visit fbd.ie or contact your local branch. FBD Insurance. Support. It's what we do. Terms and conditions apply. 15% discount available on new commercial motor policies only when an existing FBD farm, business, car or home policy is in place. FBD Insurance Group Limited, trading as FBD Insurance, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Commercial motor insurance is underwritten by FBD Insurance PLC. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Worth a, a look back, if nothing else, just because of how thoroughly fed up he was with the entire day. I think it cost him 90 quid as well. You couldn't buy... Uh, children's tickets unless it was in the Davin mm. that's wrong yeah I for thought that as well not, for a game that's not going to be a sellout see I do sort of think with the GA. I, I mean the ticket pricing I don't understand why the organisation doesn't aspire to have the cheapest tickets in world sport which are the envy the envy of world sport like when you think of Bundesliga clubs which are run so brilliantly for obvious reasons and they make a point of suppressing ticket prices because the game is for the fans like the whole point of this is for people to come and community get together and for us to uh, enjoy the sport and come together and, and play sport. And you would think of any sport in the world, the GEA, where we don't have to pay the players and therefore the, the overheads are not all that large in comparison with every other sport. The ticket prices should be the envy of the world. Mm. There should be pieces on All-Ireland Finals saying, look at this huge spectacle. It's, it's the centrepiece of their sporting calendar. Tickets are €30. Euro. Why not? Yeah, yeah. That was uh, last night's news round. You can catch that back on the OTB Sports app or on our YouTube as well if you want to watch the whole thing back. Sarah O'Donovan is here. How are you getting on? I'm delighted to say that I have good news to report about Cork Hurling. Cork Hurling is back. Cork City, we understand, is also back. <laughs> Absolutely hopping yesterday at lunch. Lads drinking pints of Guinness and I believe it was firmly down to the hurling. It has to be. That, like, does, does Cork City as a whole just get this massive bounce off even one win for the Cork Hurlers? I cannot explain it. The city was absolutely bouncing yesterday and you see trains being put on today, extra trains to Thurless, tickets being sold at a rate of knots. People just love hurling and they and they make no bones about it. They're really happy that they've turned it around. Six weeks ago, you know, losing to Waterford, two horrible performances since. And then Sunday, they give that performance and all of a sudden we're back in it. And where did that come from? Kieran. Kingston said he doesn't know. He said if he could <laughs> bottle it, he would. Nobody knows. But it was just uh, the likes of Connolly Han really epitomised the performance. You know, getting back, getting the hook on, um, real urgency to get back. The likes of Mark Coleman, like pacing, pelting back to to get ball to to kind of support their team. And Patrick Collins didn't look exposed the last day. There were six, eight players getting between the goal and the man. You know, the Waterford lads didn't have the space. Then the half forward line, you know, Seamus Harnedy, five points. Yeah, he's immense. Yeah, I I loved his interview after because that's, you know, I know Nathan Murphy was asking me about Corkness and like Seamus Harnedy being like, 
how dare ye consider that we were outsiders? Like that's Corkness after three horrible performances to come back with that kind of uh, response. It, it does suggest that maybe all the negativity around them was something that they did tap into, that they read, that they listened to and channeled it into something positive at the weekend. You'd hope so, because, you know, all, all anyone is looking for is the level of work rate and the commitment that other teams regularly show. Like Kilkenny continuously show work rate, even if the performances aren't technically good enough to win games. Nobody questions that. But with Cork, it's always technically good enough, but don't have the heart, don't have the commitment. And at a certain point, you have to go, right, why am I here? You know, why am I turning in the process continuously? Why aren't I showing up on the day? And I suppose for for Cork fans to see that finally on Sunday was due time. Like, the, Go ahead. I was just thinking, well, we all had them as All-Ireland contenders. So mm. then when we first seen these performances over the last few weeks, you're wondering what's going on here? It's not that they don't have the talent or, you know, the management there. Like they, they have it all. But it's, it's just not clicking. So sometimes, as Owen said, when you have these defeats and people are putting them down and, you know, you, you get that bit of hunger and fight in you to say, look, we need to sort this out because they, they can do it. They prove time and time again. Last chance saloon again, though, for the likes of Conor Leanne. You know, he was out of the panel last year, brought back into the panel this year. That game was a do or die game for him and he stood up again. You know, he's like Lazarus. He just won't go away, you know. So certainly for a couple of players like that, I think, who felt another straight poor performance would have been the end of them and they weren't coming back from that. So certainly last 70 minutes and they put it all on the line. There was a switch in the game plan, most obviously as well, just a very simple, direct style that uh, I think the opposite of that was highlighted so much, especially in the Limerick game on the first weekend of the Munster Hurling Championship. Like, is that the new cork now? Is it just, did they really feel that the first couple of weeks just didn't work and now they've just thrown um, the baby out with the bathwater, tactically anyway, and it's and it's worked? Yeah, well, look, Liam Gall said afterwards that Waterford weren't direct enough and that's why the likes of Desi Hutchison didn't get on ball, you know, so it cork flipped it, you know, Waterford were incredibly direct in the league final, got loads of scores out of it. Cork did the same. Alan Connolly is so robust inside there. You know, he's such he, he's so hard to manage. Why wouldn't you give him ball? Uh, Tim O'Mahony, a couple of weeks ago, I was saying, lads, Tim O'Mahony's a forward out and out. And it was a real frustration that he, they were allowing him to play wing back or or not necessarily allowing him, forcing him to play wing back. You know, the lad is a he's he's a gold merchant you know he's, he's so good at cutting through through the centre why waste him back there chasing after lads who love doing the exact same as he loves to do so even that flip you know on 40 minutes to bring him in a different target man a different option it, it was class like I find this really interesting now because as, as Ashling said this is a team that got uh, an All-Ireland final last year this is a team that was in the league final like it felt they underperformed in the first couple of weeks it, like it, it doesn't feel to me as if like the ideas of this Cork management are all bad. It doesn't feel like everything that they've thought about before last weekend is all bad. So there must have been some sort of rationale to Tim O'Mahony playing at the back, for example. It obviously worked really well throwing him into the forwards at the weekend, but you'd wonder where they tried to go for like uh, last year's version of Kyle Hayes a little bit with, with, with Tim O'Mahony at halfback, potentially. Well, you know what? It wasn't working and they stubbornly kept at it for three games and we yeah. were exhausted mm-hmm. saying, lads, like if you're being told it's not working, don't you know, cement your boots and, and not move out of the spot. And that was probably the most frustrating thing about the Cork management setup was like, why are you playing Mark Conan at centre back when he evidently is not a centre back? He goes back into wing back the last day and he's so comfortable and he's urgent and he wants to be there. Why were they playing lads out of position? Luke Mead hadn't seen game time for, you know, since last 
year since last year's All-Ireland final and then he's parachuted back into midfield the last day and is expected to perform and does. It must be incredibly frustrating for the likes of Luke Mead to sit on the sidelines and then get parachuted back in and have to turn the switch. Yeah, that's a confidence thing that I that I really I'm really impressed by the likes of Luke for he was a guy brilliant. so young. Yeah, but like he, he was in he was in the stand practically, you know, he he just wasn't in contention at all. And three games later he's parachuted back in and expected to do a job. So Fair play to Luke for, for showing up again for Cork, having had to sit there, you know, in the cold for so long. You mentioned Waterford not getting the most out of their forwards. The likes of Niall O'Leary, Sean O'Donoghue had brilliant games at the back. Is, is it much down to them as, as it is down to, to what Waterford tried to do? It was a, it was organisation, though. It was that Dara Fitz and Luke Mead in the middle were breaking up so much ball that the backs had so much time to be able to get organised. And I know... Um, the lads on Sunday game highlighted touch tight. You know, the, the Cork lads were literally touch tight, whereas in the Clare game, when it wasn't on the TV, it was so obvious that Cork lads were too far away. They were five, six yards away. They were social distancing. Like, it just was a waste of time. The last day, every man was standing next to, to his opponent. And, you know, that means you can do so much more. So even that change in mindset mm-hmm. was so good for Cork. And it was such a small thing. And you're going, Is this, if I was on the sideline, you know, that's what I'd be roaring, touch tight. And when they broke then, I thought the overlap was so impressive. Their support play, there was always one, two Cork lads there. And that's how their their second goal especially um, was, was brilliant because there was maybe four or five of them involved in it and they were off the shoulder, seeing the man inside. You know, it, it was impressive to see that, which I hadn't seen, I suppose, as much of that. In but if you consider games. that Tim O'Mahony starts that run, if Tim O'Mahony is at wing back, he's starting those runs too early and he doesn't have the support. So if he's starting the runs from half forward and he's got James Harvey coming in and then he's got Shane Kingston and Alan Connolly's on the end, that's where Tim O'Mahony needs to be making his runs because that's how direct he is. So again, pity we had to wait three games to, to see that. And like Tim came on injured. like His finger was heavily strapped. You have to admire these guys for throwing their bodies on the line again the last day of the season practically for them you know to, to get another day out mm. it, it is really interesting the, the kind of whole psychology of the performance as well as you say the, the kind of season on the line stuff and it's season on the line stuff this weekend as well like so many teams question when it comes down to the, to the high pressure scenario that they, they do crumble like, are you starting to see that the opposite is becoming true of Cork a little bit oh, lads one, one swallow doesn't make a summer yeah. but <laughs> But, you know, from Tip's point of view, Noel McGrath's interview after their loss to Limerick, he was so incredibly disappointed. You know, I thought that Tip team looked really, really polished for 50, 55 minutes against Limerick. And, and I think they're, they won't want Cork to go through, regardless of what happens, regardless of whether Waterford beat Clare. Tip are absolutely gunning for Cork. So, you know, this is probably the hardest one now for Cork. The I, I would say... Cork losing to Tip would be worse than Cork losing to Waterford. Because <laughs> <laughs> you hate Tip. Yeah. <laughs> but, but even from the point of view of, you know, going, going to the well, yeah. getting that performance against Waterford and then not being able to back it up against True. Tip who are essentially, you know, on their way out. I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't even be too worried for, for Tipperary at the moment. You know, a lot of people were saying after some of their performances, where are they at? And uh, they've lost a few players, the more experienced players, a lot of young blood coming through. Yes, I suppose at this present moment they're they're not where they used to be, but uh, I think it's positive for them in in you know, years to come. They've there a lot of the young lads coming through, and their performance against Limerick was uh, something to talk about. So, 
yeah, I, I do think they, they put up a good game, but I think Cork would be, you would like to think. You would like to think, <laughs> but we never think anymore. <laughs> it's you just 18, don't know. We're 18 years without a, without a title, you know, like... That's a long time in sport. Uh, is that, but is that actually something that those people drinking pints in Cork City yesterday were thinking? It's like, we're back. We can actually contend for this All-Ireland. I, I think that they know that the group of players is there who are skillful enough and technically, you know, able enough. But I just don't know if, if the fight is there. And that's what everyone is hoping that the, the, the commitment and hunger is there. Mm. Is that it, though? Is that the only gap in your view between Cork and Ultimate Glory? I think we'd need a couple of those Limerick lads to stay on the bench that were on the bench the last day as well like Aaron Glan Keane Lynch uh, Peter Casey sitting up in the stand for Limerick the last day There's just so many superstars for Limerick is yeah. the problem that's, that's the thing I suppose this Cork team you know ha- has come up alongside a team that is fundamentally solid in, in every aspect of its play and they're able to switch Kyle Hayes from wing back to, to full forward centre forward you know uh, those moves this year have really helped Limerick again and, and they've even galvanised them further. So Cork can go as far as Galway and Kilkenny can go, but I don't know if anyone can actually take Limerick's crown. A three in a row, lads, you know, like mm. Limerick aren't Limerick aren't naive. They know what they're they know what they're about this year and it's definitely doing the treble. Because mm. Justin McCarthy was making the point that he reckons there was a, a golfing class between the two games that we saw at the weekend, then between the Cork game and and the, the cracking game between Limerick and Clare. Is that, is, is that what you think as well? That there's there's almost a top two in Munster at the moment? Like, we should accept here that like things have changed so quickly where we were saying there's a top two in Munster, nobody's going to get close to Waterford or Limerick. Yes. They're the top two in Ireland. And now all of a sudden I'm asking you, are Clare and Limerick the top two in Munster? So this is a very fleeting thing, but on the evidence of, of last Sunday, is, is that the reality? If I'm being very honest, I enjoyed the Limerick Clare game more than I enjoyed the Cork Waterford game. Maybe it's a lack of, or there's a discomfort in watching your own team. I'm play. sure you hated watching Cork. Yeah, you yeah. Should, like I mean, the season on the line stuff. So. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like one sixteen to one fifteen going down, the, you know, going down the straight, and and you're thinking Cork are going to fold here. So, from from point of view in Limerick and Clare, I I did think there was more aggression there. I did think there was more intensity. There is there was a better standard in that game, and I suppose the scores were. The scores are better in that game. You know, it wasn't as it wasn't as loose because a lot of the scores in the Cork and Waterford game are quite loose. You know, Patrick Collins gets a score from his own twenty. Um, th- we didn't see that same mm-hmm. fluidity. Bar Garrow Tegarty's obviously little canter up the sideline there early on, a nice loose score from a from a turnover, but it was certainly much more aggressive. And then Claire Peter Duggan wasn't really in the mix the last day, so you're you're thinking Claire certainly have kind of more. I suppose, uh, more ammunition than Cork and Waterford. And they have a level to get to even above what we saw at the weekend. They absolutely do. They absolutely do. And like Tony Kelly, lads, he was unmarkable. And I I suppose that's that's the other thing. You know, there was two big talking points, Garrod Hagerty and Austin Gleeson and and how they were involved with the referee. And there was the sense that, you know, reputationally, is that attracting them to referees? And then... You know, it was suggested that Austin Gleeson was being targeted by the Cork lads, um, you know, to get to get yellow cards and stuff. But I'm like, how come nobody ever targets Tony Kelly? You know, he scores at 16 points, but, you know, he's the one who doesn't get involved. And, and I think that's something that kind of shows the difference between the Tony Kelly's and the Austin Gleeson's and the Garrett Hagerty's in terms of uh, attracting attention. But is, it, is there a point in that in the, the Tony Kelly temperament versus the Austin Gleeson temperament? who would I rather have on my team? Mm. 
But I, mm. yeah, and like, is there at the weekend you've no sympathy for Austin Gleeson? Um, no, no, I don't. I genuinely don't. The second yellow, no, um, no, no. Look, the there's. If if I didn't see Tony Kelly's performance afterwards, Austin Gleeson has an opportunity every game. He's that skillful to to stay out of stay out of the handbags and and you know kind of stay out around the middle of the park when things get when things get messy. And he always always chooses conflict, <laughs> and that's so incredibly uh, obvious. So and even when he's on a yellow, they know he's on a yellow. So what does? another team do they they target that you know and as you said it's his own fault that he's on that yellow and he's put himself in that situation but they know then so they try their very best to step out yeah step out you know you've been in situations where and I've been in situations where I should have stepped out and I didn't step out you know if you if reputationally if you have a reputation for for getting involved and the game is on the line Step out for your team. I think as well, uh, Tony Kelly obviously has. So it was Tommy Welch on with us last month, I think, talking about the, the initial Austin Gleason red card. And he was saying DJ Carey had a great way of just pointing to his uh, man and looking at the scoreboard sort of thing after he'd be taunted and, and wound up a little bit. And that was his reaction to it. And Tony Kelly can obviously do that. He, he knows that he, he can't get wound up. Like, is that constantly the problem now for, for Liam Cahill and Waterford to try and, I guess train Austin Gleeson in that way to, to, to try and get him into that mindset as well because he can do damage in the scoreboard as well let's not forget it's not about training him it's Austin Gleeson is you know 10 years down the line now he's he's no longer a fresh bio like mm. he's he's well he's well tuned into what the game requires and I think Liam Gall's in a very difficult position because every team needs Austin Gleeson because of what he can do on the scoreboard but not every team needs him for the lack of discipline. And, you know, I think that it ultimately comes down to whether Austin wants to be on the pitch or not. And in order to stay on the pitch, he needs to avoid the conflict. Where is Tony Kelly in terms of the hurlers of his generation? Is, is He is going to go down as probably the best of, of this generation, right? Like if you said it, maybe TJ was the, the, the top of the pile a couple of years ago. Like Tony seems like he's top of the pile at this point, and then you've obviously got a collection of Limerick players. Take your pick, sort of thing. I agree. Um, I suppose Tony was uh, Tony has been phenomenal in a team that was under the radar, right? Uh, and but he has always been exceptional. Whereas this Limerick team has had five or six guys who have been, you know, uh, continuously performing to a level. Um, I don't know if those guys would have necessarily performed as well as Tony Kelly has in the Clare jersey if, if if they had kind of limiting circumstances around them. So I think definitely Tony, Tony is Joe Canning is TJ Reid is Henry Shefflin. Mm. You know yeah, that's that's where he is in the and and because of his discipline. You know, like let's be honest, Henry Shefflin and, and Tony Kelly's temperament would be very very similar. You know, they they very rarely get drawn in and and that's to their team's benefit. It kind of yeah. feels as well that like he only really hit top gear at the weekend. Like the first day out when, like in, before the first game against Tip, there was a lot of people in Clare saying, keep an eye on Clare this year. I, w- I wasn't sure whether or not to believe it because I don't think anybody really considered they were going to be in the top three for Munster this year. I called them in the first championship game. Sorry, on. somebody did call them. Sorry, somebody <laughs> did call them. Uh, it, other, other, other than Ashley O'Reilly, you, you James and you, you Dalo uh, talking about But you up, didn't know. Naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and 
I think we were kind of surprised by the manner of that win on the first day of the season. But more surprising than that was the fact that Tony Kelly, of course, was, was central to it, but he wasn't the team. He felt like the team the last couple of seasons and, yeah. and all of a sudden Clare have not only found out how to get the best out of him, which was the first thing that Lohan seemed to do when he when he came in, but also try and utilise him for the greater good of the team as well. Usually so, but for Peter Back- Peter Duggan, Shane O'Donnell, uh, David McInerney, I love Dermot Ryan at wing back, lads. If if I could bottle him and bring him to court, <laughs> that's what I would be doing. He <laughs> is class and it, it, it's just that he knows exactly what a wing back should be and, and he is so young. Like, that team has quality peppered all the way through um, so the court game probably showed that for me more than the other games because I got to see it obviously up close and personal and see how how poor and ordinary they made Cork look and that's why the Waterford result was more surprising for me from a Cork point of view because they were so ordinary in my eyes you know because of what Clare did to them mm. I think watching the Limerick Clare game I just thought if anyone has never seen Hurling before or doesn't know anything about Hurling, they need to watch this. Like, it was just one of those games where I just sat back and was like, geez, you know, it sort of takes you back a bit like this skill level. Yes, we've seen it time and time again, but with it, everything seemed to go right. And like it was first touch was always on point, the scores, the the movement. It was just it was a really good game of Hurling. Can I just say as well that uh, obviously somebody, some people are watching us this morning on YouTube uh, for Premier League reaction. And Damien has commented saying, love this, but being English, I haven't got a clue what they're talking about. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, clearly, it's not just the sport itself. It's also the chats around it. How, how do you call this weekend? Like, and I, I mean, are Waterford done? Waterford have a sliver of hope in that tip will do everything in their power to make sure that Cork won't go well, through. They can qualify like tip in <laughs> fairness like it's Look realistically if you're if you're Claire you're not starting Tony Kelly this weekend you're you know you're not starting maybe Peter Duggan you know you're you're looking at your 20 19 to 23 those those four or five players who need game time and you have an opportunity to do that here. Brian Lone would be very silly to put Clare out for a fourth week in a row and then expect them to be able to perform at that level again in a Munster final. So I am not saying they're going to throw the game, but what I am saying is that they are going to use the opportunity to blood players, which could afford Waterford an opportunity to win the game um, comfortably and tip, regardless of what happens, will absolutely not allow Cork to go through if they can help it at all. So tip Cork the game to watch? Yeah. Yeah. What about Leinster? Who's, who are you calling on that? I don't think there's a there's there's a gulf now here between um, Kilkenny, Galway, and the rest. Yeah, and and I'm very honest in that. Like Dublin, for all of their promise in the league, you just cannot deal with the intensity of Dublin or of Kilkenny. They just can't. Like. Mm-hmm. Uh, just one other thing we wanted to touch on just before we wrap up is the Munster Camogie final last weekend be extra extra time we go into the All-Ireland Championship uh, this weekend the Sarah O'Donovan Derby is a few weeks away at uh, Cork versus Dublin <laughs> I think it's the June Bank holiday weekend uh, were you at this game the, the Cork Clare game at the weekend? Uh, no actually I was at a wedding I was right. in Castlemartyr <laughs> but um, Saturday evening in Park Urin so was able to watch it on YouTube this is the beauty of it I was able Great. to watch Kilkenny and Dublin on the way down in the car um, and then I was able to watch Cork and so kudos to the Camogie Association because genuinely every game has been live on YouTube for the last two years so I've missed nothing it's been brilliant uh, brilliant about the Cork and Clare game is I had seen Clare play tip in the precursor to the Clare Cork game in the hurling right um, so I was like Jesus 
Clare are up for this, you know, against Tip. And it was a surprise that they had beaten Tip in the Munster semi-final. So they went into the Cork game and I was thinking, well, like Cork should be, you know, six, eight points better than, than Clare. And Cork found themselves down twice and had to come back from the brink, you know, on, on full time and extra time before finally pulling away in double double extra time so Claire have done a massive amount of work this year really really organised found three or four players and I suppose they're now like their hurling counterparts you know very much in the mix because Tip would have been considered top four and I'm wondering whether Tip were taking you know I suppose taking their time through the league and the first rounds of the Munster Championship so that they'd be ready for the All-Ireland or whether this Clare team has just found form it was brilliant to see Claire. Sorry, just say it's been so long to see them mm. at this standard. Yeah. No, it was really great to see. And a funny thing about it as well, it Davy Fitz's son, uh, Colm, he's a selector on the and then obviously you have Davy then with, with the Cork. So I'd say that was hilarious in their household, knowing knowing Davy. But the influence as well of Davy with Cork, you know, I think at the start of the season he had said, I'll commit to one season one train in a week. And now he's like at three trainings a week, you know, and I think you can see that as well, you know, in their play and they, they're they believing in it. They're just a bit unlucky in that they, they've had a couple of players kind of move away, the likes of Hannah Looney and, yeah. and they, I watched Kilkenny the last day and Kilkenny are a juggernaut, you know, they, they really have a point to prove and they have a core group there, like technically so good that they made Dublin look very ordinary. You cannot fault Dublin's commitment and work rate, but technically Dublin just aren't there and that's why they're 13 points worse than Kilkenny so I think towards the end of the season you'll see the same kind of three four teams again in the championship despite the inroads that other teams are making it's Cork it's Galway it's Kilkenny and either Tip or Clare now by the look of it So you have that as a, as a three at the top Galway Kilkenny Cork Yeah okay. absolutely no question Right very good Sarah great stuff thanks, thanks many for popping no in worries. Good luck to Cork this weekend Sarah Donovan there with us in studio OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day Now to celebrate bringing the football pod on the road we're giving you the chance to win two tickets to join Tommy, Paddy and James and special guests at the Royal Theatre Castle Bar All you have to do to be in with a chance to win is tell us who this mystery voice is we're just looking really forward now to the 25th of May and, and meet, meeting the winners of, of Wexford and Loud. You can comment with your answer live on our YouTube stream or tag us with your answer on Twitter. We're at Off The Ball. We'll be back with the morning's papers in just a moment. But first, here's Felipe Contopomi following the announcement that he's going to swap Leinster for Argentina at the end of the season. No, to be honest, uh, at this um, profession, I, I, you, you don't know where you start and you don't know where you finish. You know, I always say that... Um, in professionalism or, or high, um, like when it's it's a high performance uh, prof- profession, you need to be prepared and you'll always prepare and try to get better and better. And then opportunities comes, you know, and um, I never thought of being like, I never put it like a, a goal of saying, I want to be Argentinian in the Argentinian coaching staff or so on. Um, uh, as I said, I've been very, very lucky having the opportunity and, and, and more than grateful for Leo and Leinster for giving me the opportunity to come and, and, and be part of the coaching staff here because it's realistically the, the, the environment here is second to none. And now it's this opportunity came up and um, I'd like to think that I can take a lot of what I've learned here and, and try to make um, Argentina a better team and, and, a, and a better uh, organization, you know. 
Yeah, Felipe Cantapomi talking about his departure from Leinster at the end of the season. You're welcome back. It is 20 to 9. Ashling is still with us in studio. John Duggan has joined us. What a sad little life. <laughs> you live on, yeah, you, you do. Uh, it's a joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there was this thing, was it St. Totteringham's Day or something when uh, Arsenal fans would always or something. Oh, you know well what St. Totteringham's Day is, John. When Arsenal fans would always celebrate the moment that they, would, they knew that they were mathematically uh, assured of uh, being ahead of Spurs in the Premier League, which is probably the case for about 20 years, uh, but not maybe this year. Or last year, or the year before. So... John is beaming. <laughs> well, getting up before 15 is something I will never get used to, but it's a bit easier today. What's the best part about it? Go on, rub those salts. Uh, Antonio Conte and Harry Kane stay at Tottenham Hotspur as yeah. long as Norwich don't beat us on Sunday. Now, it would be a very Tottenham thing to, for it, Norwich, the relegated uh, bottom club, to, to beat us. but That won't happen. Um, I'm pretty confident it won't happen. And... It's really about Harry Kane and Conte and, and a chance, a, a second chance for Daniel Levy to get it right in the transfer market after not backing Mircea Pochettino for years ago. This is, the, this is the chance now. It's now or never for Tottenham with an elite manager like Antonio Conte. And for Arsenal, uh, they had it in their hands. And like when I was watching the interviews with Arteta and Xhaka, they, they didn't seem to have any reason or, or explanation for why they were so poor. Yeah, what did you make of the Granite Xhaka? post-match? Uh, well, Granit Jack has been sent off, I believe, five times for Arsenal. They struggled in midfield last night, and it's up to him to lead. He's one of the more uh, elder players in the team. It's a very young team, and it was soft underbelly stuff from Arsenal. Um, I don't think, though, the defenders were fit, some of them, and I think that their, their squad does look uh, threadbare. Um, but Arteta really couldn't explain it, and I do feel that the hangover of Thursday was still uh, there at St. James's Park, and Newcastle were up for it. Their fans are excited because they know that um, you know there's going to be a big influx of transfer spend. There's a, there's a vibe about the place that's good, and like Callum Wilson epitomised that in the way he came into the team and, and was a produced a barnstorming display. So, I thought Arsenal would have shot a bit more. Um, they were they weren't up for it as much as Newcastle were. Where do you see the? What sort of shape do you see the table taking next season, John? Like, I mean, I think the top two it'd be. Uh, lunacy to suggest that they're going to be broken at this point but what, what do you see outside of that and like that's a question about Newcastle as much as it is about Tottenham well last August I said that Chelsea would win the league so I don't know if you're asking the right person here um, so but, did I but I see that Liverpool City and I would say if Spurs do strengthen I think Spurs will definitely be in the top four next season um, I just don't know what, what Eric Ten Hag is going to do at Manchester United. I still think Ronaldo's a problem there. I just don't know if he fits into the structure. I don't know what the structure will be. I don't know if he'll be a pressing kind of uh, attacking coach. Um, so it's very hard to say what Manchester United are going to do because they do still have talented players in their squad. Um, and for Arsenal, I'm just going to find it difficult because it would be much easier for them to spend the cash. And they spent a lot of money under Arteta if they had that Champions League football to look forward to. They've got Europa League games on Thursdays and Sundays. It'll be harder for them, I think, to get into the Champions League next season. So the moment off at the top of my head, I'm thinking Chelsea, uh, I don't know what's happening there. Like the stories this morning that um, the Abramovich, uh, you know, might, might let this uh, club go under. Like a proposed £4.25 billion pound takeover could be on the verge of collapsing. UK government ministers are still unsure whether he'll benefit. So he can't receive any money from the sale, as we know. And the LA Dodgers co-owner, Todd Bailey, uh, was granted an exclusivity period to finalise the purchase. But it's still not a done deal with Chelsea. So Chelsea are in a state of flux. United, you'd hope for their perspective of a resurgence. I look at it as almost, I look at it as Spurs, United, Liverpool and City uh, for the top four. 
um, and Newcastle probably. The thing about uh, uh, Eddie Howe is he signed players that were good to get Newcastle safe, like Matt Targish, Dan Byrne, Chris Wood. But are these players going to be get you into a Champions League? Well, their form post January has been Champions League or close to Champions League level stuff like their points per game uh, in 2022 is, is right up there. I don't have the exact uh, statistic to hand but I, I saw it pop up yesterday and it was really impressive it was like something I don't think many Arsenal people are very confident going to that game anyway but it just kind of uh, heightened the, the, the challenge that, that they were up against yesterday it's, it's not actually overly surprising that Newcastle uh, had possession against Arsenal and, and were as good and better than Arsenal last night so like I mean you're obviously talking Europa League here like we're not suggesting Champions League but they are going to spend big they're going to be better than they are and they've been pretty good over the last couple of months to say the least it, but, it's, he's, but he's brought these players like Chris Wood and uh, Dan Byrne and Matt Target yeah. in uh, are you going to start disappointing them then you've just brought them into the club so he's got a bit of a balancing act to do there Eddie Howe uh, like Imarej obviously is a very good signing um, but you, you, you can't just sign 20 players I think it's going to be a more gradual thing with Newcastle. And I think actually the ownership is a bit more, is quite relaxed about that. I, I get the sense. Um, I don't get the sense that they want it immediately. Um, but also with Newcastle, when they played City and Spurs, they were thumped. So they do, they, they are still behind. You know, I don't think it's going to happen instantly. Well, they're definitely behind City and Spurs. Like just that um, statistic. Just the way they played. Like, the, the way, like Spurs took them apart in the second half, as did City. Both, like, both teams scored five goals. So th- this... It's still a bit for them to go, I think. So before last night, the highest points per game since January 1st, Liverpool were first, Manchester City were second, Spurs were third and Newcastle were fourth. Yeah. And uh, Newcastle were only 0.02 behind Spurs, so they might have actually moved above Spurs in the points per game since January 1st. So that's that's the level of form that we've seen from Newcastle so far this calendar year. Yeah, but I do think Chelsea, you know, have fallen apart to a degree since the whole Abramovich thing happened and United are a mess. You'd have to think they'll both improve next season. So that, I, I don't see new. I see Newcastle as a team that'll be sixth next season, sixth or seventh. I don't know. Does Eddie Howe is he the type of manager to want a gradual process? I feel he'll want to see results uh, sooner rather than later. Like it was three of their signings started yesterday, wasn't it? Out of all the money they had spent, I suppose uh, in January there was only three of them that started, and I thought they were exciting. Like we haven't talked a lot about their performance. Arsenal were very poor. But I was impressed, like up front, you know, Maximum was immense, you know, every time he got the ball, he looked dangerous. And I do think, as John said, it is a process of of finding a style of play that works for them all and for it to click. But I do think we'll see more results sooner rather than later. I think so. I think I think uh, your appraisal that they could be six or seven next season, I think, is probably spot on, John, for, for Newcastle next year. Uh, there is other things happening in the world of sport. What are we kicking off with this morning? Well, uh, Liverpool have to win probably tonight, you'd have to think, with Southampton to bring it to the last day. Like, if they draw City, mathematically, they'll be there. Um, if they lose, City are champions. So, Virgil van Dijk, Mo Salah, Fabinho, all out. I felt that Liverpool and Chelsea were out on their feet in extra time in that cup final. It's going to be hard for Liverpool to go down to St Mary's and, and do something like they could easily get turned over. You don't know what Southampton is. Southampton are um, Jekyll and Hyde as a football team. Um, not in Forest uh, lead Sheffield United 2-1 going into the second leg of their championship playoff semi-final. So if they come through that Forest, they'll be playing Huddersfield Town in the final at Wembley for a place in the Premier League to join Fulham and Bournemouth in being promoted. Uh, the story, Jake Daniels, 17-year-old Blackpool striker, becoming the first a player in British football to come out since Justin Fashionu in 1990. Uh, the Irish women's captain Katie McCabe tweeting, Jake, all the love and respect for the incredible courage you've shown the world and simply being who you are. I've no doubt this will inspire so many people. 
Uh, we also have the GA agreeing to underwrite uh, expenses for four training sessions per week for inter-county players. So this impasse with the Gaelic players is over for the moment. There's going to be a new charter to be agreed for 2023. With this holding deal, we'll see no cap on the amount of players that can claim expenses. Students will also have their mileage for 2021 paid up to a maximum of €250 Euro per player. Uh, Offaly, just great story. They had the 12,000 people at O'Moore Park last night for them to uh, win that Leinster minor hurling title for the first time in 22 years, 21 points to 13. And we had Adam Screeny scoring 10 points. Almost more of a buzz about that than some of the senior games at the moment in the Intercounty Championship. Horse racing later folks at Sligo and Killarney. And we're all getting our minds geared towards the PGA Championship, a special virtual insanity tomorrow on the uh, second major of the year at Southern Hills in Oklahoma. We're also thinking currently without giving us any spoilers? Um, the thinking is you need to be a good chipper, apparently. They've, they've kind of almost shaved the runoff areas around the greens, and you need to be a good chipper because the greens are quite small at Southern Hills. It's quite a long course, a par 70. I think it'll be a tough course, but you need to be able to chip the ball well. That does not bode well for the likes of Victor Hovland, who is one of the worst chippers in tour, as great as he is in every other facet of the game. So I actually think that Shane Lowry, I think the course might suit him, um, and Rory's playing well. So. Got to get the thinking cap on, get the crystal ball out this afternoon and try and uh, unearth the winner or the uh, the 200 to 1 shot that might make the top 10. Virtual insanity this time tomorrow morning. John Duggan, All thanks right. a million. Ashley and Owen, thank you. It's uh, 10 to 9, you're with us here on OTBAM. And the SPAR FAI Primary School Fives National Finals takes place in the Aviva Stadium today with current Republic of Ireland footballer Louise Quinn in attendance supporting as girls and boys from 28 schools take to the pitch for a day that they'll never forget. The 2022 SPAR FAI Primary School Fives programme returned in physical form this year and saw an incredible 56,212 students involved from 1,081 schools. Since SPAR took over the sponsorship in 2015, participation has increased by a spectacular 196%. Delighted to welcome Louise Quinn back to the show. Louise, how are you getting on? I'm good, not too bad. How are you? Very well. Was there anything like this when you were in school? No, I don't think so at all. Um, yeah, this is something I think that's... For me, I just think five-a-side football is probably just one of the most inclusive types of football you can play i think you can play at any age any level um you know just for fun a bit more competitive we definitely know it gets more competitive when it shouldn't be but um but yeah that's you know for me it's just been it's a it's a great initiative just to to get kids and um you know get people interested in uh, in football just from a young age what is your dream five-a-side team from the current republic of ireland team <laughs> From the current Republic of Ireland team. Ah, oh, this is I'll be killed for this now. Um right, we obviously need I'm gonna go for a yeah, obviously goalkeeper. So we're gonna go a two one one, I would say. Okay. So yeah, we'll go Courtney and goal. Um sure look, I'll put myself and uh Neve Fahi in there because I think when you're gonna play 5v5, 6v6 in, uh, in training. I think experience and defences win the games. And uh, yeah, Denise O'Sullivan and Katie McCabe up top will just kind of put Katie in a more advanced role. Um, yeah, that's perfect for me. Yeah, that works. It's a pretty strong team. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That'll take some beating. Yeah, um, pretty, yeah pretty confident with that, yeah. Uh, Louise, can we chat a little bit about the, the the last couple of weeks, obviously, from your own perspective, Birmingham getting relegated um, was 
obviously hugely disappointing for the team as a whole. Your own season was excellent, obviously, winning player of the season. Top scorer as well, I think, come, come the end of the season. So how do those two things contrast when you analyse your club season? Um, yeah, it is. It's obviously something that's that's quite conflicting. And for me, obviously, it's the... Um, you know the overall the overall result of of getting relegated was you know it was definitely the hardest to take. It's nice to have little personal goals that you know that I've completed during the summer. But I just yeah you know it's we had a you know a dressing room kind of filled with disappointed people kind of you know after that after that Man City game and you know staff and players included and it was yeah just very hard to take. But I think we've got to I suppose look. Yeah, look at the overall, and I think we did have a very, very tough start to the season, and that was, you know, with the whole change of squad. I'm going to say not a not a complete preseason, to be honest. You know, players coming in late, kind of getting up to the levels and the fitness that we needed to be at, and yeah, and then just kind of having having that experience in the WSL because for me, it is one of the best the best leagues out there. Um, you know, and I've played in a few now, and I watch quite a few, and for me, it just it has the physicality and it has the skill level um so it was yeah it was difficult but for me the kind of again the what i not enjoyed the most what was so promising and what made it easy to go to work every day was honestly that the the attitude stayed the hard work stayed the determination to kind of try lift ourselves up and push it over the line and and i think that showed really in the last few weeks um you know that we were we were far more in the games, obviously, apart from the City game. Once they got won, I think, you know, the floodgates opened, I'd say, in, on, on every level. We kind of knew that it was going to be hard to claw back. But honestly, it was still a, a pleasure going training every day with that with that group, um, you know, and, and they're, they were just brilliant. And how has playing for Birmingham um, as an experience as a whole compared to the other clubs that you've played at? Um, I think it's yeah, it's obviously it's it's very different. It has a it has a lot of history and it's always been a very strong um women's team. And I suppose it's been a team that's been strong kind of without the lack of facilities. That was, you know, something that was quite apparent last season and the season before. And um, you know, and and a lot of the team members had to really put their foot down there, which I which I admired. Um, you know, obviously us kind of going through with the Irish team and and to kind of see that the girls had that determination as well at Blues. It's, you know, it's it's something that actually, you know, it makes you want to play with those players as well to know kind of the mindset that they have. Um, so it is a club, I think, that needs a bit of a, a reshuffle and it needs, um, yeah, a bit of a rebuild. Um, you know, again, facilities-wise, you know, we we didn't train on the on the greatest of pitches for the season at all and, you know, you're you're thrown kind of here, there, and everywhere. So it wasn't it wasn't as um, uh, I suppose like balanced as as you would like it to be. Um, but I suppose again, personally, kind of playing the Birmingham the Birmingham way and how we were kind of doing it, it was kind of sitting off in a bit of transitional football. So for me, in terms of translating that into the Irish team, um, you know, that was it was something that. That I actually I really enjoyed. I I enjoyed how we played. We needed to get it right a lot of the time, but I enjoyed kind of how we wanted, you know, the pace we wanted to play us, um, and the intensity and and actually kind of the physicality of the game. So it was still, um, as I said, just <laughs> enjoyable to go, you know, to go into work and to and to try, you know, push through, um, you know, kind of the pain of being in the relegation area. 
Is that a, an issue that a lot of WSL teams would still have? The I guess not having a training ground that is your own and, as you say, training here, there and everywhere? Or do you think that maybe you were an outlier in that regard? Um, well, actually, we, we, we are at the, the main training ground, to be honest. Um, it's, it's, it's literally the training ground for, for everyone. So obviously there's the, the men's team have a bit of their own section. And then literally it, it starts from under six to up to academy boys and obviously ourselves and um, yeah, our own academy girls as well. So by in terms of being kind of thrown here, there and everywhere, it was, you know, where you could find a spare pitch, take it because someone else maybe will. Um, okay. and, and lots of maybe can't arrive at a certain time because, you know, there, there was a, a tournament going on, like an under eight tournament and, you know, the car park's full. So, you know, you're not going to be able to really get in and park your car. So, you know, lots of kind of these, you know, which seem like minor things, but were would absolutely, you know, would disrupt, disrupt our week or our weekends. Um, you know, and that's something then that I think Darren Carter, who's come in, you know, he's blues through and through. He's obviously, you know, a legend in the, in the men's team, getting them uh, into the Premier League. But then he's, you know, he's really kind of in the last six months turning into a, you know, he's he's learning the trade and he's been, you know, he's been he's been brilliant. And if I think that there's someone to to kind of change that feel of blues, it's gonna be him and and you know, and there is a lot of positive talks going forward into into next season, you know, to make sure that these things that we have priority where it needs to be. Um, you know, because yeah, it's the, the facilities out there, I think it can be, I think it can be get a little bit of a uh, a makeover on on the men's side as well. I think, you know, the whole thing needs a bit of an uplift and um, yeah, so it's it's kind of down to him and I, I would trust him to be able to kind of get that, the ball rolling. So, you know, that it's, uh, you know, there's equality and parity kind of in that way. Yeah, you would think that uh, that would affect the performances, you know, preparation is key. So if you're not able to, I suppose, prepare in the way you'd like to prepare, then, you know, that that'll show once it comes to game time. So it's not a case that there is pitches there that you're just put on different pitches. It's just that there isn't enough pitches readily available. Yeah, and, and that are up to any sort of quality, to be honest. Um you know, they the the pitches changed with the with the weather. So if it was uh, if it was wet, it was you know a bit of a mud patch, and if it was dry, it was rock solid. And you know that then that causes its own its own problems in terms of injuries. And um, yeah, you know, just being able to to ping the ball around in a training session when you need to. Um, you know, so then that was it. Thankfully, towards the end of the season, um, yeah, we were able to then kind of more get our get our, our hands on our boots on on the on the men's pitches um you know so which which then just kind of led yeah to, to naturally better training sessions and um you know kind of being able to get through what we what we need to get through um you know and, and again that was kind of down to the yeah down to the the fight of our of our manager and, and you know making sure that we you know we we get the best chance and, and again I think obviously it didn't work out how we wanted to but the last kind of month and six weeks of the games that we played, the performances were much better, um, you know, and it was, everything was just far more, you know, we were able to move the ball around better and quicker and people just being more confident to, to do it. Um, you know, sometimes you were, 
you'd be trying to ping passes out on some of the pitches and you know it's it's coming flying up off your foot or just not going the direction you wanted to so it actually doesn't give you the confidence to try and make those passes in a game if you can't do it in a training session so um you know it is something that's that definitely has to be improved and and something that blues uh yeah really need to to look into but Apparently, the wheels are in motion to uh, yeah to get that changed. Like I don't even need to ask if the, the senior men's team had the, the same situation, but did the underage men's teams um, have all the facilities that they needed? Like we, I, I, I don't even have the specific age groups to mind, but um, like I presume all those youth teams had everything they needed on the men's side of things. Um, yeah, so I suppose some of the yeah the kind of sixteens, eighteens, they would they would sometimes yeah train on on the the better pitches there was maybe four pitches that had had a bit of quality to them um but again they were actually all redoing their surfaces just before we were leaving as well so it was something as i said it kind of needed a bit of an uplift even on the men's side if i'm if i'm being honest um okay. you know, for, uh, it is such a you know historic club and it's it's just something where it just needs yeah it needs to be freshened up um you know and that's that's kind of it. It is across the board, but obviously they, you know, it'd be more kind of the, the times of how they could get on, and obviously priority, um, you know, would would be one of those things. So, um, but thankfully we were able to kind of yeah fight the fight more towards the end of the season. Are you going to hang around for next season, Louise, or is are you uh, in conversations about what's going to happen next season for you? Um, yeah, so I, I am on a I'm on a two year contract, so. It's all just kind of everything is is kind of still in discussion. It's still a bit early days, and you know it's seeing how the the club are going to be able to support obviously players now that we're in the championship. So it's a uh, yeah, it's a uh, a bit of a bit of quiet time now. Just kind of keep the head down for myself and just kind of you know not overly think about it. But um, yeah, I, I signed a two year, and um, but there there was a relegation clause in it, so it's. It's it's just one of those mixes where obviously if you know the the club are going in the in the way that that you want them to go and that they can go, um you know hopefully it's uh yeah you know for me it's it'll be an easy decision then, um you know and I've I've just I've had a great year and to play under under Darren Carter again, um you know is is my is my plan and intention so. Can I ask you about the the title race in the WSL? Obviously, your your former club would have been disappointed at the end of the season, but it does seem, in terms of the quality at the moment, Chelsea and Arsenal are, are just a little bit ahead of the pack. Is that the way you see it next season and over the next little while that, that those are the the two standard setters in football at the moment in the WSL? Uh, yeah, I really think so. Just uh, you know, obviously, I'm going to throw Sissy, you know, back in the mixer mm. there, kind of. You know, thinking that Man United are, are going to try try pushing it up there, but they do just seem to yeah to run away with it. it still seems like kind of a you know a three horse race, if I'm honest. Um, you know the games. I feel like at times Chelsea have the the upper hand over over Arsenal. I'm not sure if it's a if it's a if it's a mental thing. Um, and then obviously the games with kind of Chelsea and City. Um, for me, they're usually the games of the season. To be honest, the quality and the you know the almost the unpredictability of of how the games are going to go, but they just have such quality. Um, you know those three teams across the board. You know full full squads. Um, you know especially especially Chelsea. They have a they have a strong eighteen to twenty one players. To be honest, that can that can play, and that's you know that's what's whatever Emma Hayes is doing to keep all the players happy. Um, you know it is. It's working a dream. 
Um, and that was obviously an issue that Man City had during the season. A lot of injuries were missing a lot of players and they had a they had a bad start, but a, an absolutely brilliant finish. Um, you know, and then I think Arsenal again were unbelievable at the start of the season. And I just think the games came a bit too thick and fast, too early. Um, just them competing in the Champions League in the earlier stages. I think maybe fatigue and stuff hit in, but again, they found their stride and um, you know, for me, obviously, thinking and looking that they've they've signed Viv Needham again for you know for another year at least is is showing that there's you know there's definitely promise and they're still going to keep um, you know they're going to keep building towards you know winning titles. Where did those two teams compare to Barcelona at the moment? Because obviously the statistics we're seeing out of Barcelona are absolutely extraordinary. 30 from 30 in their domestic season this year. 159 goals across 30 games, conceded just 11. They obviously went on a 45-game winning streak, which was halted by Wolfsburg during the season. Is the WSL just stronger than the league Barcelona are playing in? Or are the numbers that we're seeing from Barcelona ahead of this weekend's Champions League final, let's not forget, suggesting that this might be the greatest team we've ever seen? Yeah, at the moment, Barcelona are just are just the greatest team we've seen. I think in uh, in women's football, um, obviously they're playing again the other big hitter, uh, Leon, and you know who've been who've been kind of taking these, you know, Champions League winning Champions League for fun, um, and now I think it's kind of yeah the turn the turn of Barcelona, and I just think comparing the leagues, I, I, so I do think there still is a you know there still is a a bit to go to get up to that level um, you know a very obviously completely different style of play of you know how Barcelona play compared to you know compared to WSL teams I would say for me obviously I think the WSL is a maybe a bit more of a not a complete league it's absolutely not complete and ready to go but I think it has quality kind of top to bottom um, you know and it's really really competitive where as you say Barcelona just run away with this um, you know, and they seem to do that in in the Champions League and in and in their own league. So, for me, it's um, yeah. I I don't think the the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal and City are kind of up to the level of of Barcelona yet. But it now just gives you know those teams something new to strive towards and kind of become that way. And how to you know how to stop Barcelona playing playing that style of football and how they how they do it. But it's it's far easier said than done because. You try look for the ball and you can't even really see it moving. To be honest, they're moving it that quick. So, and looking ahead now, um, the the next Irish game is fast approaching. It's really exciting times in Irish football. Is it the most exciting time that you've ever been involved in an Ireland team? Um, yeah, I think I think the last couple of years has been kind of the most exciting. Um, I think from from everything, how we're you know how we approach games, how we're we're playing the games, you know the the wins that we're getting, the um, you know the opposition that we're playing and, and challenging against, and you know you do feel um, yeah now that we we can compete against these top teams and we've we figured out ways to you know to to grind out a you know a, a draw or a win, um, you know obviously as we we showed against against Sweden and. You know, we'll just make sure that we can we can get the job done. And it's yeah, for me, it's just been uh, to to properly properly compete at international level. Um, yeah, it's it's just been a joy. And you know, I'm I'm obviously yeah, well into my inter international career now. But I think it's probably is just as exciting now as as maybe when I started out. Um, you know, to kind of keep that 
yeah, keep the kind of uh, the fire, the fire in the belly kind of going first. Um, you know, and it's it's definitely kind of given given a lift there. And it's but already you just have you know the pride of playing for your country, and then but actually to be kind of getting results and doing well in the groups. How we're how we're doing is uh, yeah, it just brings an extra element um, that I'm just loving at the moment. And to get that draw in Sweden away from home was incredible you know and you defended like your lives depended on it yeah. when the, that final whistle went like I, I was there um, at the stadium and I could just see what it meant to all of you to, to Vera to the whole management team and it was funny to see Sweden were, were celebrating too you know so everybody everybody was hugging everybody <laughs> after the game yeah. but it was a massive win and it was a massive statement from Ireland yeah, that was it. It was, yeah, I definitely, I got a bit of a wave of emotion directly after the game. Obviously, it was absolute fatigue. and uh, But just actually, like, pride as well. I kind of, I think the first person I did actually get to was was Casey. And I just literally, I think I just, yeah, almost fell into her. And we just, yeah, I think we just got a little bit, you know, slightly emotional just of... <sighs> trying to be able to yeah to get that result um you know and, and do it how we did it and and everything was against us but it just shows when you're when you're persistent and when you have what you know it's it, the, the goal start started from a set piece and then a complete you know second phase of of everything that was going on and when you just have someone like Casey who can strike a ball like she can um you know outside the box you're you're always hopeful um yeah and so for us it's it was just showing out that more regularly, you know, it's it's no, no we're you know no team is gonna is gonna get a walkover out of us, um, you know. But we 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 know what's uh, it was a great result, but we know kind of what's what's still to come and and what's important. But you know the yeah the confidence you know that we felt after that game um, was unbelievable. But we were also kind of knackered, so this, <laughs> we were even you know trying to even listen to a bit of music in the change room after we were just exhausted. <laughs> um, you know, it was one of those like definite physical games, but the the mental side of it um, was 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 exhausting, to be honest. So, how does this next month work? Obviously, the club season's over, but you still got Georgia to play this month. Like, do you go into a little bit of an off season for a little while, take a couple of weeks off before coming back up for that, or, or how how will you work it? Yeah, pretty much. It'll be kind of just yeah, a couple of weeks off. Um, yeah, so I'm off on holiday now after after this. So. Very good. Um, where are you off to? Yeah. Uh, going to Portugal. Okay. Very nice. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So just kind of exactly to get the get the break, switch off. Um, you know, physically, to be honest, physically, I'm actually, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, you know, but it'll just be kind of, yeah, switch off the mind a little bit more. There's been, you know, it's been kind of a real emotional season, kind of up and down, obviously, you know, kind of great, you know, great feelings with the Irish team, but then, it's been, you know, very much up and down with with blues. So um it'll just be kind of yeah, for me to to switch off and then that'll be it. We'll be, you know, kind of come the start of June, the first week of June, we'll kind of be in full swing of making sure kind of back in back in training sessions and and home base sessions and and then yeah, I think kind of getting into camp maybe a little bit earlier just so we're yeah, we're together and can kind of get the get the legs going um again and obviously just making sure that we're we're prepared for Georgia, um, because again, every game is is as important as as uh, as the last one and as the next one. So it's uh, yeah, we're just you know we're focusing on Georgia and making sure that we're going to be in in good nick first. 
All right, Louise, great chatting to you as ever. Enjoy Portugal. Take care. We'll chat to you soon. Thanks, Emil, guys. Louise Quinn there on the line. She was speaking because the Spar FAI Primary School 5's national finals is taking place at the Aviva Stadium today. Uh, it is 12 minutes past nine. You're with us here on OTB AM. Let's just tell you what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio throughout the day. From one o'clock, we've got The Ascent with Barry Ryan. From three o'clock is Dadcast. Four o'clock is Matt Holland. And from six o'clock is The Life and Times of Johnny Kilban. Off the Ball is live in your radio tonight from seven o'clock, including updates of Southampton against Liverpool. You can follow Off the Ball across all of our social platforms. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and you can download the ODB Sports app to enjoy the latest and best in sports content and analysis. And that football pod is going on the road, as you might have heard. The Royal Theatre Castle Bar on Thursday, June the 2nd is where it's happening. Tickets are on sale now. You can go to otbsports.com forward slash events to get yours today. And you can stay tuned to Off The Ball for details and more shows to come. To be with a chance to win a pair of tickets to the show, just tell us who this morning's mystery voice is. We're just looking really forward now to the 25th of May and, and meet, meeting the winners of, of Wexford and Loud. You can comment wherever you're watching and you can tweet your answer as well to add off the ball if you want to get us on Twitter. Quick break, back in a few. OTB AM on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. Paddy, like what? He goes, Paddy Andrews. I go, yeah. And she goes, this is James Hills. He's upstairs. Will I get him? <laughs> the Football Pod with Paddy Andrews and James O'Donoghue are bringing the show on the road. The first stop for Ireland's biggest and best GEA pod will be the Royal Theatre in Castle Bar on Thursday, June 2nd, as Paddy, James, Tommy and special guests dissect, analyse and celebrate Mayo football as well as getting stuck into the runners and riders for Championship 2022. Tickets are €20 Euro plus booking fees and are on sale now. See otbsports.com forward slash events for more. Not the ball's the best, it's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Nathan, you know Big Joe. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. We know it. <laughs> so Every it single me. time. Yes. Yes. It's tough going. It's it's tough for my ego. I, I'm going to say right. I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. <laughs> I love it. Love it. This is OTB Sports Radio. Download the OTB Sports app now. OTB With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Welcome back. It is quarter past nine. You're with us here on OTBAM, which is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Nathan Murphy is with us on the line. Nathan, good morning. Morning. So tonight, Jurgen Klopp has got a squad for this game, which has a few injury problems. If Jer Gilroy was advising him, they would all be rested. None of them would start. What will you do tonight if you were Jurgen Klopp? I think it's largely taken out of his hands because of the injuries that they have. So Van Dijk and Salah won't play tonight. But the good news for Liverpool fans is it looks as though they may be available for Sunday, which would obviously mean that they'll certainly be available for the Champions League final. Uh, Klopp went off on one yesterday about the scheduling of this fixture, the cup final Saturday night. Why do you have to play on a Tuesday, it seems because the Europa League finals on tomorrow night, they have no choice but to play it this evening. But they did look shattered by the end of the game. And there's the emotional toll as well of going to penalties, of winning the FA Cup. I'm sure they did a mini celebration on Saturday night. And he's just hoping that adrenaline will bring them through. He's hinted he's going to make widespread changes, but you can't change everybody. And he still needs to win this game. So you would expect that Matip and Kanate will start us centre-back, maybe Chimikas comes in in place of Robertson to start at the left. Perhaps Joe Gomez gets an opportunity again at right-back where he's done okay since uh, the opportunities he's had when Trent has missed out on matches. Uh, from there forward, 
Roberto Firmino's back fit again. Is he ready to start a game? Probably Jota didn't play the full game. So Diaz, uh, funny enough, because he arrived in January, you sort of think he hasn't had the same amount of games, but obviously he has uh, from his time in Portugal. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a front three of uh, Jota, Firmino and uh, Diaz tonight. And then in midfield, you know, does he go with Jordan Henderson again? That's probably where he's going to have to take the most risks, probably throw Curtis Jones in there. Maybe Naby Keita gets another start. I'm not sure if he'll play Thiago back-to-back. Um, so that's maybe where he has to take a, a little bit of a risk. But we've you know, mentioned this numerous times over the past few months that like Liverpool have added depth in their squad now. They have a little bit more in terms of options. So tonight's the night where they're going to have to use them and whatever way, scrape over the line. It's probably a benefit in a way and uh, might uh, seem like perverse logic to say that uh, City drawing instead of losing the last day because it means that goal difference is highly unlikely to be a factor now. So tonight is just about scraping a win whatever way you can rather than if City had lost. Liverpool would be going into tonight's game thinking really need to try and win this 4-5-0 or to bring it right down to the final day. And Nathan, how does it feel to be a Liverpool fan at the moment? I was with Billy Joe Padden at the weekend at the Derry Monaghan game and he had looked at his phone when Man City and West Ham were playing and he was on edge and then he had the phone back out and he had it away and he had it back out and he said, God, Christ, I wish I never looked at it at all. So completely on edge. Are you a nervous wreck? Me? Uh, no, no. I, I was asked this last week. I... Uh, while yes, I uh, support Liverpool and support Liverpool, I can enjoy watching the football. You know, I've got lots of matches that aren't Liverpool matches all of the time. So uh, no, I uh, I'm just fine. Uh, You're calm. With this, yeah, I don't like it's out of Liverpool's hands, obviously, in terms of what happens. Uh, you know, Sunday I'm sure will be interesting. Presuming Liverpool win tonight, is it what the third time in seven eight seasons that'll have gone to the final day between Liverpool and City, but with a similar scenario where. City have to drop points or City have to lose and they just don't do it. If you think back to, was it three years ago now where I think Liverpool were playing at home to Wolves on the final day of the season and City were down in Brighton and Brighton equalised and Liverpool were in front and it was about a two minute long period where Anfield was going wild and it looked as though Liverpool might win it and then City come back and do what they do and win that game easily. You wouldn't be surprised if something similar happened on Sunday against Aston Villa because you know, I think City looked vulnerable at the back against West Ham. Uh, Michael Antonio was outstanding, really asked some questions of Fernandinho. Uh, Laporte doesn't seem to be a leader of that back four, that when Diaz isn't there, uh, doesn't look quite the same player. So maybe a Ings-Watkins strike force with the pace in particular that Watkins has can ask Villa some questions. But I think the conversation we had is probably similar to this time last week, is that you don't sit down any time Manchester City are playing and predict that they're going to lose or drop points. But Liverpool are in a position, at least now, where they can bring it to the final day. And in a position where they're not relying on Manchester City to lose on the final day. A team can always draw a game and with the pressure that's going to be on them. Who knows? It'll be exciting. That's the main thing. When you look at the kind of the, the slew of fixtures that's coming up, and I guess just Liverpool kind of trying to get this season finally finished after all the games they've had to play, does the tiredness in the legs give you concern ahead of the Champions League final at all? Or, or does that feel so far away at this point that... You know, it's it's not going to be a factor at all. That's I don't know. They're obviously they're obviously going to play a full strength team tonight, and if they win, they're going to do that on on Sunday. And then you've got six days of a turnaround before the Champions League final. Is is that fatigue at all a bit of a concern on the evidence of Saturday? I think it's got to be. Well, was there evidence on Saturday? 
Like, but sorry, were, Body's were, kind of like Body's being more injury prone. I guess is probably what I'm using. Well, that, that, that's that's the worry, and and there's obviously the comparisons going to be made with with Harry Kane. I think the one difference is that Kane have been out for a considerable period of time, so that if Salah and Van Dijk are fine, they're going to be match fit. Yeah, you know, it's not as if actually maybe a little bit of a break won't do them any harm. And Real Madrid have had the league sewn up. They have had a few weeks to prepare themselves to rotate players to make sure they are fully fresh. And perhaps in the last 15 minutes of a Champions League final, that becomes a factor. But they're going to have six days off between the last league game and the Champions League final. I don't think he'll go at full strength tonight. I think he'll use as much of that squad as he possibly can. And he's been making three or four changes in every game. So while there is fatigue and a long FA Cup final and a really intense, high-quality game is going as aptum, I think tonight is the night where fatigue will be a factor. Sunday, home, Anfield, final day of the season, uh, sun shining, a chance to win the league perhaps. I don't think fatigue will be an issue and I can't imagine fatigue will be an issue in the Champions League final. But Liverpool, when they're at their best, it's all about the start and I think that's what they'll target in the Champions League final is those first 20, 25 minutes to really get at Real Madrid, to get an early goal and to absolutely try and blitz them because if it does become a bit of a dogfight, like the FA Cup final where I thought Liverpool were excellent but couldn't get the goal in the first 25 minutes then that's what Real Madrid will try and do, stick in it, and then maybe nab it in the last half an hour. But, yeah, I don't know, fatigue. They play a huge amount of games. Uh, Six-day break is probably as much as they'll have had all season for some of the players. So I, I, I don't think it'll be the deciding factor. You mentioned there some of the concerns that people might have had and still do have around Manchester City and the centre of that defence. Uh, obviously, Laporte, Fernandinho at the weekend, Ake is an unused substitute. None of the substitutions, obviously, were, were used against West Ham United. Mm. It lo- looks pretty obvious that Manchester City have to strengthen that area. Uh, the question is whether or not they'll be able to, to strengthen enough to make that less of an issue next season because, like, I mean, I mean that, that is the problem, right? I mean, it's Haaland isn't necessarily fixing a problem. Haaland is making something that's very, very good, even better. I, I assume, anyway, if you're a Manchester City fan, you want to see recruitment in that area and just be a little oh, bit... I don't know. Do no? you? I, I think, actually, I think defensively they've been stronger in a way than they've been in attack. It, it, injuries are a major factor for teams and they're missing yeah. Diaz and Stones. Ruben Diaz is up there with Virgil van Dijk as the best centre-half in the Premier League. You know, John Stones is also out. They still have Amir Laporte. He's choosing not to play Aki because he obviously has decided he doesn't want two left-footed centre-backs playing together and is trusting Fernandinho's experience. It's Manchester City. They could go and spend another £40 million on a Nathan Aki type. They could go and sign a James Tarkowski or somebody like that that's around and who can come in and play 15, 20 games a season. But I think generally City have been exceptional defensively. But when you're missing your best players, there's going to be a weakness. And you know, it was Liverpool's problem last season. It's go down through that league and look at teams that are missing players. Arsenal, their decline since Thomas Partey got injured. Look what Leeds have fallen without Calvin Phillips and Patrick Bamford. And of course, there's other reasons behind all of this. But if you're missing your best players and you're always going to have to build a team around your very best players, there's going to be a bit of a dip. Now, that doesn't mean Manchester City are shambles at the back, but it does mean they're a little bit more exposed than they would like to be heading into the final day of the season. As I say, with the pace of an Ollie Watkins and Mikel Antonio really put it up. West Ham are very, very good team and Bowen and Antonio were both brilliant on Sunday. But that's is would Pep Guardiola much prefer to have John Stones and Ruben Diaz alongside Emmerich Laporte? Absolutely. 
But I'm not saying they're a shambles. I'm just saying that if you look at them compared to Liverpool, the reason why there's a goal difference cushion is because Manchester City have scored more goals than Liverpool. They've conceded the exact same amount of goals uh, at this point. And what Manchester City are after over the next little while is perfection. Like they've done everything. They've won everything. They've won the Premier League with 100 points. They've come close to, to doing perfect seasons, near perfect seasons in the Premier League. That what they're trying to make better is something that's already pretty amazing. So I think they've obviously done that in attack. What if next season they're in this position again where he can't trust Nathan Ake because he's the wrong type of foot? He's like he's, he's a left footer. He's, he can't be trusted on the, the right-hand side of the defence. What if they're in this position again next season and they're in a Champions League final? Like That's the sort of thing that will almost be used as a way of painting a Manchester City season as a failure because they're not going to win the Champions League if that's the thing that's holding them back. Like That's the, mar- the margins we're talking about here at Manchester City. I don't, like, I don't think anybody's suggesting that they're anything close to a shambles. No, no, but and I I understand what your point is, but and I don't want to get into you know is Guardiola a failure because they haven't won the Champions League, but how much do you need as a manager? If the conversation after the semi final defeat, oh, if they had an Erling Haaland or if they had signed Harry Kane, they have unbelievable talent in every part of the pitch. You shouldn't need the eleven best players in their position in the world to be able to win a Champions League or to achieve perfection in the Premier League. So Erling Haaland, yes, will come in and maybe will even transform Manchester City's attack to greater things. But they already score an enormous amount of goals. Mm. You say, so what are they going to do? Score 140 goals next season and win every game 5 or 6 nil? Possibly. But they have options at the back. So what do you do? Go and buy, spend 60, 70 million on another centre-back next year so that you have Diaz... Laporte, uh, Stones, a new signing, and Nathan Aki is your fifth choice. Maybe they do, and Manchester City have the means to go and do that. But I think they should, and they can still, pull a team together that can get a job done over a couple of matches when they're stuck. And maybe he does change his mind and go, you know what, Nathan Aki, I will trust you. I'll play Laporte on the right-hand side. I'll put you on the left-hand side. And let's just hope it works for one day. But, you know, a couple of injuries shouldn't mean that and we're not saying they're falling apart, but this idea that for Manchester City, the answer constantly has to be, we need to spend another 60 or 70 million for those one or two games where we just have a couple of players missing. I, no, I, you get through it, get the job done, Fernandinho leaves. Uh, I'm sure they'll sign a midfielder or a centre-back, uh, depending on what they want to do with Fernandinho's replacement. But you need to be able to survive a couple of games, at least with a few players injured. Yeah, I think it's important to have rotation. Obviously, we talked about the, the amount of games that they're playing. So, of course, it is important to be able to rotate players and have just as good a team with those lads coming off the bench. But we've even seen it with like the likes of Man United at the moment with all these superstar players. So, I don't know if bringing in more players into the mix, that you know, as, as Nathan said there, maybe a midfielder or that, but sometimes you need to work with what you have you know keep going with obviously it's working at the minute for them to to not uh, upset the structure that they have at the minute because um you know it it seems to be working well because sometimes you you could have that issue of bringing people in mm. and then it upsets the whole dynamic maybe they go and they sign Nathan Collins young up and coming center half brilliant with the ball at his feet comes in and plays 15 20 games a season and establishes himself over the next two or three years yeah Actually, this is probably the time of the season where we get your goal-scoring chart for Irish footballers in the Premier League. Is well, it's not pretty. It's, it's I was going to ask, is pretty. it more or less pretty than last season? Uh, it is pretty. less pretty. It's less. I, I think um, I was looking at it the other day, and it's obviously a few matches. You know, Shane Long has a very good record through the years against Liverpool. Maybe tonight is the night that Shane Long finally breaks into the top ten 
all-time Irish scorers in English football. Maybe tonight is finally the night for Shane Long. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to probably be the lowest on record for Irish players in the top flight. I don't think anyone's got more than two goals so far uh, for Ireland. Nathan Collins has obviously been our main goal threat. Shane Duffy dropping out of the side probably hampered his ability. But, it, yeah, it's been a real struggle for, for goals at that level. Obviously, you drop down slightly in Champions League Championship and there's plenty of players... Uh, scoring goals there but yeah in the Premier League this is a pattern that's been going on for four or five years now that you know Irish players just cannot get goals at this level It would be amiss of us to talk Premier League and not invite you to join the pylon on Arsenal Football Club so <laughs> say what you want to say Nathan <sighs> I, I'll go with the John Giles line of you've got to take each game as it comes and if you had sat down with Arsenal fans at the start of the season and said with a couple of games to go Two wins would get you Champions League football, uh, you know, against Newcastle and then at home against Everton. I'm sure they would have thought, yes, actually, this has been a really productive season of growth, of young players coming through and establishing themselves. But the position they found themselves in over the past month to blow it from here could be incredibly damaging. Yeah, to have lost, what, six of their last 11 games. I do think the injury to party came at just the wrong time. And unfortunately, in football, it moves fast and there's no guarantees that the progression Arsenal make is going to continue next season. Yes, they have Saka and Smith-Rowe and Odegaard and Martinelli, but they still don't have a striker. They have to get that right. The rights, the wrongs of what happened between Arteta and Aubameyang, you know, who knows, it looked for a long time like Arteta was in the right, but now you know they end up relying on Eddie, Eddie Nketiah for the last seven, eight games of the season who they clearly didn't trust or have never really trusted up till then and not getting reinforcements at the back. Ben White felt like he was hung out to dry a little bit last night. He's had a really good season, but just didn't look fit. And while I'm sure Mikel Arteta will say we're ahead of schedule and where we want to get to, there's no guarantees that next season they'll be in this position again because Newcastle are going to go and invest massively. You know, Leicester, I'm sure, will come back and try and strengthen as well. So this was a, a huge opportunity but they've had a good season. They've definitely had a good season. And those players, I think, mean there's something to be excited about. But it just feels like it's a um, a huge missed opportunity, albeit maybe good for the Premier League, because Tottenham are far, far better in every part of the pitch than Arsenal are. It's, it's hard to disagree with that. Uh, we will have, obviously, live commentary on Sunday, and we'll be bringing you up to speed on everything that's happening on the final day of the Premier League. There's obviously going to be a bit of drama at the bottom. How do you see that storyline going? I'm I'm never sure on predicting what's going to happen at the bottom of the table because different teams are in different places at the end of the season. Uh, right now, I think Leeds look the most vulnerable, even though they do have a point more than Burnley. The fact that Burnley have that game in hand on Thursday night against an Aston Villa side who don't have much to play for, and then Newcastle it felt like their season finished last night. So I think Burnley will get a point at least. And then Brentford Leeds has 4-3 one way or the other written all over it. It's, it's who can keep their emotions in check. It's been really noticeable, I think, over the last couple of weeks that so many of those teams at the bottom have been getting red cards and been getting caught up in a lot of scraps. Obviously, Leeds, when you think the way Arsenal have imploded in a way, for Leeds to be 2-0 down and the game gone inside a quarter of an hour is a terrible sign. Like they've had a lot of red cards. Their heads seem to be completely gone. Uh, I thought Burnley against Tottenham was an opportunity. And again, became a real scrappy match. There was a load of flashpoints. There was a load of pushing and shoving at different times. And likewise, Everton, down to nine men at the weekend. So I think Leeds, because I just wouldn't 
back Leeds to get anything from that game against Brentford. And I think Burnley will get at least one point from their last two and Leeds' goal difference is, is far worse off. But it's a shame in a way that Arsenal didn't get something from last night because Arsenal-Everton, if it was all at stake at the Emirates on Sunday, would have been one of the great final day games. Uh, whereas now it feels it's probably only going to mean something for Everton, if even that, because Everton obviously can win and be safe against Palace at home in Goodison on yeah. Thursday night. So if you were to force me into a decision, I would say Leeds. Yeah, Arsenal blowing it at home against Everton in the final day of the season would have been way more dramatic. <laughs> that would have been far better for the uh, you're scar- you're, You were scarred for a long time from this trip to Tottenham on Thursday night. Yeah, I think I've just been scarred forever. It was just like the first time in a while that... There was just a slight sense of belief. I never believed. I never believed at all. And I was vindicated when they went on that losing run against Crystal Palace and wherever they lost. I was like, I was right all along about Arsenal. I was right about you. And it was just that, it was just those wins at the end of last month and into the start of May before the Tottenham game, basically, where I was like, this thing could happen. This is a four point cushion with, with three Absolutely, games left. Yeah. More points well, they haven't games drawn left. enough games. Like, that's what's they lost up, a really, lot. Is that everything is winning or losing. Yeah. And they've had, what, three draws all season? I think they've had one draw since September. So you turn a couple of those defeats into a point and it's still in Arsenal's hand. Yes, that does make it uh, a lot harder to take for sure. Very quickly, Nathan, who are you looking at for the USPGA? Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth, okay. Jordan Spieth's going for the career Grand Slam. Yeah. We often talk and spend eight months talking about Rory and the career Grand Slam at Augusta. As Spieth has won everything else and he's coming in to the PGA in red hot form. He finished second last week. Uh, he has played two tournaments. He's been the best player in the field of both tournaments. Uh, this course looks perfectly set up for him, so I think there's a brilliant opportunity for Spieth. But, you know, Shane Lowry is in the form of his life. He's, you know, top 10 player in the world in form this year. The only thing against Lowry is that he hasn't played a lot since the Masters. He's only played once in a team event, so thought he might have played maybe even last week. But he's finished top three in his last two tournaments at Hilton Head and Augusta National, two great golf courses. So I think Lowry will expect to go very, very close. So... They're the two I'd be keeping keeping an eye on. And Scotty Scheffler, who is the world number one, who is just winning, performing behind him. He's won at this course before as an amateur. Uh, and, we, you know, we do spend a lot of time on Golf Weekly looking at everybody else, and then you forget about the best player in the world, and there's every chance Scotty Scheffler just turns up and, you know, wins again. For sure. Nathan, enjoy it. Thanks a million. Thanks, guys. Nathan Murphy there on the line. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Just had time to tell you that Shane Meehan is our winner this morning. He's won tickets to the football pod live in Mayo. You can go to offtheball.com forward slash events for all the info on that. Ashling, thanks a million for joining us in studio. Thank you, Owen. Yep. We are back tomorrow morning here on OTBAM from half past seven. Keith Wood and Tommy Welsh will be with us. Phil Egan will pop in for a chat on tonight's game involving Liverpool. 